just send me the damn location. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with the MMA edition as we fill that syringe with passion and prepare to inject you with another lethal dose of that performance enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell, in fact, the voice that you hear. And if you don't think I am fired up for Habib Connor, UFC 229 on Saturday, you got another thing coming. Oh, yeah. Rev up, get fired the heck up. It's just about that time. Wow, the biggest fight in UFC history. You're playing touch butt with that dork in the park. Oh, come on, Nate. Come on, you're better than that. I know you are excited, too. Deep inside, look, you can smell a big fight coming, and that smell is in the air, folks, and it's it smells great. It is a beautiful aroma that arouses me. We got a big, big, big show for you this week. As you already know, it's a new era of combat sports audio. Welcome to the Machida era. No, wrong era. Wrong era, Joe Rogan. This is the era of the ITC, the era of your boy BC, and King Mo, Muhammad Lawal, back for another one, folks. Look, we got you covered. UFC 229 from all the angles this week. Connor Habib, who wins and why? What the future of this lightweight division looks like is wrestling better than striking. We got it all here. This is, oh man. Oh, I mean, come on. I need a new haircut. I, I, I gotta get, oh wow. I like my hair. Uh, yeah. I like uh, my hair. Yeah. Uh, the mamacitas like my hair. The Brazilian mamacitas like my hair. Well, uh, Connor, I like this fight. I like this card. King Mo and I are gonna prepare you. We will also recap all things Bellator 206 from over the weekend including Rory McDonald's future following that loss to Gegard Mousasi and the kickoff of the Bellator Welterweight Grand Prix. We got some Aaron Pico talk. We got a lot of good stuff coming. All the news and notes and a bonus chat with Uriah Faber, the California kid. He's going to break down who he thinks wins UFC 229 main event on Saturday. He's going to tell you about his return to a grappling tournament in Las Vegas on Friday when he meets the great Sakuraba. He's going to also tell you a story about how he almost stepped in to fight Conor McGregor at UFC 196. Good stuff from the California kid. You don't want to miss that, folks. Also, you hear something today on the show that you like. If you see something, say something. Please do us a favor. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. We're talking about five-star reviews here, guys. Honestly, straight up. Write a nice note. Hey, you come here for King Mo? Let us know. Let us know where you listen, how you listen, why you listen. It's, it's the least you can do. All right? It's almost the holiday season. A little early gift for your boys at the ITC. But, you know, all I can say is just just buckle up and get ready. We got a couple hours of great audio content coming your way. Nice little debate coming on who actually is going to win that Conor Habib clash. Where, where I mean, you don't challenge King Mo in his own house. We know that. In my home. This is my home right here. This is American Top Team. Don't disrespect don't just me in my home. No, no, no disrespect to the king. But, but we did have a nice little go around there, you know. Not about that stuff Connor, that Stefan Bonner said about him one time. One time I was at uh, Mayweather's boxing gym and I sparred with King Mo. Knocked his ass out cold. <laughs> yeah, King Mo knows me. He knows me. He, he knows, knows me. He knows me. Can't get enough of that sound, by the way. All right, I'm just, I'm just wandering around here in a lost world of uh, sound drops and deteriorating chins. His chin is deteriorating. All right, all right, enough fun and games. Hey, let's get into the content. 
The kings of content are back. Enjoy. Oh, you better believe BC is fired up. King Mo, Muhammad Lawal is back with me. And King Mo, it's UFC 229 week. And I know, I know you're a straight-faced guy, a money-weight fighter. You never get too emotional. But when it's a Connor Habib fight week, King Mo, you got to get fired up because some fights are all about the show. Some fights, like Musasi McDonald, which we'll talk about in a second, are all about the X's and O's and a technical dream. This fight has everything. It's got the pro wrestling backstory. It's got the style matchup. It's got everything. Tell the people what you're feeling about Saturday's main event. Uh, to be real with you, um, now what you said earlier, this fight has everything. It's true, but after this fight's over with, mark my words, once another fight gets made, like say Daniel and John Jones gets made, then you say you can repeat <laughs> the same thing for Daniel and John Jones. So, but here's the thing, right? On the bright side, their storylines. So, because last year we're kind of like, huh? Now the storylines. Yes. With this fight, it's major storylines. The style, the fact that they don't like each other. Connor's layout. Connor's been out. Connor ain't fought in a year. You know, his last time he fought was with Floyd in a boxing match. Habib has steadily gained confidence. Will Habib be healthy? How's his weight? There are a lot of questions in here. But the main question to me is, how will Connor react to Habib? When they step in foot, when they step foot in that cage. Oh, yeah. Because all this, all this other stuff right now, everyone's talking about is just this. This means nothing. Just it talk. means a lot right now, but it means nothing the moment you step foot in that cage and it closes. Wow. Then it, then it might be nap time. When they step foot in that cage, they're going to pay the price with nap time. Then it might be nap time. We got a lot to get to on that fight, but you know, it, it just feels big. I mean, it should feel big. This is being presented as the biggest fight in MMA history. Look, there's arguments in there about has there been fights that have meant more? Did did Fedor versus uh, Crow Cop and Pride? You know, did that fight mean more than this? I mean, look, it, it's 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 all debate worthy. But very few times do you get a fight that's as good commercially as it is on paper. That means this much. That's the former champ two years away who never lost his title coming back. I mean. I don't make this comparison lightly because I'm not trying to compare the fighters, but this is an Ali Frazier storyline, right, of the champion never losing and stepping away and then coming back and somebody else has been sitting in his chair and he's ready to take that guy out. And I get fired up for that, King Mo, all right? I get, that's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah, I see it more as not more of the Ali Frazier, more more like a Hagler Leonard. Okay, okay. Because – Habib is more like Hagler, hardworking, you don't see him much, grindy, grimy. Then, Connor is more like Sugar Ray Leonard, the golden boy, the person that has all the fans, the person that has the, the flashy, the flamboyant, the talker, the one that everybody likes. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's giving him extra credit even though he's been out for a year or two. That's why, that's how I see it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I see it that way. Now with, uh, it's the same way with, with Ali, um, with Ali, um, Frazier. It's the same way, but I, I, I just feel like more like this is, Ali Frazier was serious, but I felt like home, home, I mean, yeah, I mean, um, Hagler, Hagler, um, Leonard 
was a little more serious than that. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I like those comparisons. I like them a lot. Kingbo, before we go so deep, before we go ball elbows to balls deep in this fight week, we got a lot to talk about. You are in training camp because you live in training camp, by the way. You're never out of training camp. But we know you're preparing for December 15th in Honolulu, Bellator. You're back. You're back, baby, on the road to Machida. That's me talking, not Scott Coker talking, not King Mo talking. That's BC talking. But you're going to be facing Liam McGrady one week later from when we last talked. How are you feeling? What's new? What's happening? What are you working on? Anything you can reveal to us? Nothing I can, nothing I can reveal. My thing is I want to um, look impressive with this victory because then who knows what, what else is out there. Maybe Musashi could be out there. Maybe Machida could be out there. Maybe – Phil Davis, maybe the the Russian. I don't know. My goal is I want to win impressive so I can get to one of the big names. Yes. Bigger names, yeah. Yes. Well, then we will begin the King Mo hashtag L reunion tour where you go back and you run back every loss in your career. <laughs> I'm not just talking about Emmanuel Newton. I'm talking about that dude who beat you in the Pan American World Wrestling Championships, whoever the heck that guy was, every guy down the line. Are you got any street fights we have to run back? No, you're not. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a guy out there – Um. If you watch the Ultimate Fighter, Michelle Batista, the the Cuban, I beat him in the Pan American Championships. I won the Pan American Championships. So, but if you get a chance, I haven't seen the show, but he's a talent to be to to look out for. Nice. Him and Romero were on the same wrestling team, so I used to watch. I used to compete against those guys. Nice, nice, uh, King Bo. I never asked you uh, backstory wise. Uh, I just this popped in my head now. Why do you fight? Do you have, is there fighting in your blood? Was your, do you have a dad or an uncle who was a wrestler? How did you fall into this lifestyle? I just fell into it because, um, I got lucky. Granted, we lost the football game and the, the defense missed a whole bunch of tackles. We missed a whole bunch of tackles. So the coach said, Hey, um, season's over with, but if you're coming back next year and you want to get, get better with your tackling, come and wrestle. Meet me at wow. the gym in two weeks at 6 a.m. So I did that and started wrestling, and I just got good. And that's just what happened. That's all that happened. You start wrestling after football season, and I fell in love with it, and I just kept on doing it. That is uh, Plano East Senior High School, which is right yeah. in the middle of Friday Night Lights territory, right? That's where it's that's where it's still it's still uh, it's still real to me, damn it, down there, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very real. You know, when you look over the alumni from that from that high school, uh. Guy Metzger, former UFC champion, right? Yep. Yeah, because uh, when uh, Guy Metzger was there, Lance Armstrong went to my high school. Because what happened was it was Plano East and Plano. Then they redrew, re- kept on redrawing the lines as the population got bigger. Interesting. Uh, Jimmy King from the Fab Five. How about that? Uh, Jimmy King. Yep. Jimmy King went to my high school. Yeah. Jimmy King did. Um, Charlie Pepper went there. Terrence Wheatley. Jake Arrieta. This is not fooling yeah. around. Lance Armstrong. You're not kidding yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had some. Some names. <laughs> a couple NFL linebackers, a uh, couple NFL DBs. Yeah, this is a, this is a, 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 uh, I don't know what the right word is. This is a, uh, champions are made there at Plano. Lecrae, you know, the rapper Lecrae? Yes. He's a, he went to my high school. He went to, I knew who he was. Lecrae, yeah. Oh, he wow. went to my high school. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. A young, a young Mo Lawal there. Mo <laughs> always been your name, right? This is not a stage name. I think I've asked you this before. This is that, always. Well, Muhammad. Everyone called Muhammad, but for some reason, like, like where places I go, most sticks better. You know what I'm saying? Wait, if I go back to Texas, everybody call me Muhammad. Oklahoma, Muhammad. Now t- Tennessee and uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mo. Florida, a mix. If I go to Texas, like you know, depending on where I go, it's either Mo or Muhammad. One or two. All right, all 
right, I like it. I like it. Uh, there's not much news I want to get into outside of recapping that. Oh man, that Bellator 206 card over the weekend on Saturday got me the heck fired up. Couple of news and notes. So did you see UFC and USADA? And by the way, we're in an interesting era, part of the USADA era with this John Jones clearing. Some a lot of people think is a little bit, uh, I don't know. Sketchy might be the right word. You can argue against it that they followed their rules and their bylaws. But you see this new rule that they're not going to announce drug test failures until it's all rectified, until they figure everything out. Is that good as a fighter speaking for you, from you as a fighter? Is that good because it protects your name if you have one of these situations with like a tainted supplement or something you didn't know of? Or does that allow UFC and USADA to cover things up a little more maybe? It, it's I don't know. It's, it goes either way. Um, you see guys like Junior Dos Santos, Marcos Hargera de Lima, um, Nogueira. They all took they all took a supplement. You know what I'm saying? That um, they had that was tainted for Brazil, and everyone was thinking that they were cheating. Everyone came out there and just destroyed their name. And the thing is, now that's redacted, now that it's doesn't it even clear. You'll see the UFC going back out there every every um. Two days saying, hey, by the way, Jordo Santos, who we thought was fell, fell for a drug test, was cleared. You know what I'm saying? Because now, here's the thing. The moment they go out there and say, hey, he fell for a drug test, every media outlet that covers MMA or sports will go out there and post that. They'll post it over and over again, like a few times talking about the situation and people see, read about it. And then the moment time passes, you know what I'm saying? You say a year passes for a full year. Everyone would call Jerry Dos Santos a cheater. Then a year passes. The next day after year ends, oh, he's not cheating, cheat. He found a supplement. It's over. Then it's over. It stops at that. So it's not, it's not like, it's not like they go out there and say, oh, for another year, they say, oh, by the way, Junior is innocent for another year. That impression lingers. There's no doubt about it. So I guess I could understand that side of it, but we just saw, for this weekend's UFC 229 card, Sean O'Malley, the exciting young prospect, uh, is out and he came out publicly and said, it's because I got popped. It's not my fault. It's a supplemental thing. I want you all to know about it now. So you don't think, and I guess I like that better, meaning that amount of honesty than a fake injury to pull him off the card. And then they figure it out behind the scenes. He's come right out and said, I failed the drug test. What? It wasn't my fault. It's a supplement issue. I'm going to work it out. I'll be back. I like that a little better. It's a little bit of honesty there. Well, well, and that's a little bit of honesty, but now, because, you know, before, it's a lot of bit of honesty, but before, the other one's, the other way is honest too. But the thing is, like, what, 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 what sticks with you more? The fighter saying, hey, I got pulled off the thing because of a failed drug test, or, or MMA junkie, or, you know, um, fight hyper, um, um, fight, uh, what's that, what's that, um, MMA fighting saying, oh, so and so failed a drug test, and then a day later, oh, to the to, to, um to the the particulars on the failed drug test that so and so failed. Here's what happened, and here's the chain of you know. So everything they'll do is they'll talk about you failed a drug test, and they won't talk about how you could possibly be innocent. You know what I'm saying? So it, it's it's it, it, it's either way. It, yeah. it can be it can be used for good or bad. So really, it comes down to what the UFC wants to do and what their protocol is as well. All right, former UFC heavyweight champion Fabricio Verdum, friend of the show, love the guy. Suspended by USADA for two years for failing an out-of-competition drug test in April for a banned steroid. But he's back in the headlines today, King Mo, because coming off the John Jones ordeal in which he significantly lowered his suspension, 
by essentially ratting people out. And it's part of the bylaws of USADA, by the way. But where I come from, in a tough industrial town, Naugatuck, Connecticut, it's not ride or die, but yet, still at the same time, snitches do get stitches, King Mo. I don't know what it's like at Plano East, but Verdum came out and said, John Jones, what are you doing? He says, quote, for the guy to make me an offer like that to snitch on someone, that goes against my principles. I can't tell on someone, even if I knew I wouldn't do it. So Verdum said, when he got popped, they asked him the same thing. He said, no, I ain't talking. What? What's the fighter code of conduct these days? What would you do, King Mo? Would you sell out a broham in the in the in the gym to get back in the cage sooner? How do you process what John Jones did and Verdum's reaction to it? Well, I I, I really don't know. It depends. It depends on the situation. Personally, with me, you just, you know, so you messed up. So why telling other people? Um, but with, I don't know. I really don't know the situation. For a brief I've been like, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to fight. John Jones might be like, you know what? I see Daniel making that money. I beat him in the past. I need to get back in there and show everybody I'm the man. Because don't forget, two different ages. You're talking about a guy that's just hitting 30 compared to a guy that's, that's about to be 40. You know what I'm saying? Like, John, like, you know, Fabricio might be like, you know what? Whatever. I'm, I'm, I don't got nothing to prove. I'm done. And John Jones is like, you know what? I got a lot to prove. I'm not done. Let me start telling. You know, who knows? You know, I, I, I can't tell you what, what was in their head. I can just tell you that. John Jones did what he had to do to to not get punished all the way. Fabricio did what he had to do because he, it's a, he's a man of his word. It's a, you know, that's what he's doing. But since this is the fight game, King Mo, and look, it's the fight game. You guys fight for a living. It's very manly. It's not necessarily corporate America with all these PC rules. It's the damn fight game. That's why we love it. You guys are like warriors out there. Is there a code in the locker room? When you go to the gym, are people like, man, F that John Jones. If he ever, if I ever find out he dropped my name, where you know, we don't need an octagon. Or am I making all this crap up in my head, King Mo? Well, you probably see that more in boxing because you're dealing with different, you know, different type of people in boxing. You know what I'm saying? They, you know what I'm saying? But MMA, you deal with a, a softer breed. Most of these guys in MMA graduated from high school and college. You know what I'm saying? Went to, came from good areas. Went to, you know, they, 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 they paid to, to, to get in MMA and took classes. So it's a, it's, it's a different, different demographic. John Jones did it because he could get away with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if, if this was boxing, nah. If this was kickboxing, nah. But it's MMA, you know what I'm saying? So MMA, anybody, like, it's just, it's a small world, but at the same time, a lot of people in MMA are just fans that fight. Alright, well let's say you're not fans. King Mo Lawal. Let's say you're an average fighter named Muhammad, and you find out though, and let's say you were just struggling to stay alive in this fight game, and you know what? You touched the stuff. You put the damn needle, you injected your toast, you spread the cream and clear on you on the morning just to try to stay alive, and you find out! John Jones told on you. Are you looking for retribution, or is this not the wild, wild west, Campbell? Stop it. Well, you can. You, it, it depends, man. Because John Jones is the type of person that will press charges, so you can get your retribution, but see, but you'll go to court, a lawsuit. So the thing is, more than anything, you know, there, there, there's a written, unwritten code, but no one follows that code, even in real life. They say snitches get stitches, but guess what? People are snitching in jail right now. People always snitch. Personally, I'm not a snitch, but you know what? A lot of people do snitch. There are more people, more, most people snitch. Most. You know what I'm saying? 
Right. Most people do. To close on this PED argument, uh, George St. Pierre, the great GSP, spoke with MMA Fighting, and he says, look, if you've had a PED incident in your past, you cannot be included in the greatest of all time discussion. King Mo, these things like the GOAT discussions, the greatest, they mean a lot to me. I'm a fan. I'm a journalist. I, I care about this stuff. There's a hierarchy in my mind. Like, if DC beats John Jones in the trilogy, he might be the GOAT. I care about crap like that. So do you agree with what GSP's saying? If you've got a checkered past in this area. I'm sorry. We can't consider you. And that's a hard debate. We see that in baseball with, you know, what do we do with Barry Bonds? Do we put him in the Hall of Fame? Do we act like he ever happened? Or do we realize everybody used that whole idea, King Mo, of wake up, everybody used? I think it's applicable in fighting. I think we got to wake up and realize a lot of people are using. So... You know, to me, John Jones, I think he's a sketchy dude. I still think he's the greatest fighter of all time. I'm not removing him from any conversation. That's that's what it comes down to. I still think, you know, because he got caught, yeah, but who's not getting caught out there? Everybody else. Well, I, I, I think when it comes down to it, it's, it's going to be up to the future. Because right now, we have short memories. Because don't forget, you just said that this, is, this fight coming up is the greatest fight in UFC history. But we've heard that so many times. You said, we probably said before with John Jones, Cormier won. You probably said before John Jones, Gustafson was a great fight. You said Shogun, Dan Henderson was a great fight. You said the best fight you possibly seen might have been, um, Mark Hunt versus Bigfoot. Oh, that, you know what I'm saying? God, that first one. It's great. Yeah. So, but the thing is, it comes down to, it's about memories. We have society today, we have short memories. So in about three or four years from now, people are going to forget about the John Jones thing. People are going to forget. Who knows? Society might be gone by then. You know what I'm saying? No one knows what's happening. All, all you can do is go on with the rise and let the future determine what's next because we can fight over who is the best of all times because 10 years ago. I'll, I'll take that fight, Kimo. I care about that yeah. stuff. No, but see, 10 years ago, it was Fedor. Then it was John Jones. Then it was this guy. Then it was yeah, that guy. Change. Then it was Mighty Mouse. It changes all the time. It's just that it's always going to change. You know what's interesting? Maybe I'm weird, King Mo, but people, a lot of people, and this is, this applies to all the combat sports. Yeah. A lot of people look at things like pound for pound and they go, oh, it's a joke. Who cares? It's subjective. It's some nerd writer sitting in his basement. By the way, I'm sitting in my basement right now. I'm kind of a nerd writer. So they're right. But they're saying it's some nerd writer in his basement trying to think who he thinks is the best. And they, they go, pound for pound doesn't matter. I actually think that's the damn opposite, King Mo. It's the only true currency. You know what doesn't matter these days? Titles. You tell me that all the time. World titles are thrown around and floated and dropped on people. Pound for pound is the only thing that matters because John Jones and TJ Dillashaw are never going to get in the same cage and fight. So the idea of figuring out in your head who's better, who's the best right now, how do we no, rank but, them? That's the thing that matters to me. That's the only yeah, truth. But it, it, the thing is, but that's why that's why everything goes full circle and you just go chasing us. It's a, it's a cat chasing his tail and dog chasing his tail. Because the thing is, okay, chasing his tail because. Okay, let's say we do Dillashaw versus John Jones. All right. So let's say we had Dillashaw versus John Jones. Who wins that fight, pound for pound? John Jones. How? You know, in, in the in the mythical idea that if they're in the same octagon in the same mythical weight class and they have the same advantages that they have in their own weight class, they bring to this mythical fight. I still like John Jones with his length. Well, and well, the thing okay with his length, but you know what beats length? Speed, timing, and lateral movement. That's fair. And that's what, that's what, that's what Dosha brings. And Dosha also brings in volume and combos. Now you're, now you're entering my world here. I like this no, debate. No, but then, but then at the same time, how can you limit volume and combos? Cause John Jones is too long and kick good. 
Or if you get too close, the elbow, but then Joe, so the thing is, you can always be like, but, but, but. So what ends up happening is, it goes, John Joseph can take downs, but Joe can take down defense. John Joseph's long, but Joe quick. You know what I'm saying? John Joseph has good kicks, but Joe has good knees. So all of a sudden, it goes like this, and then all of a sudden, it goes back and forth. King so that's really, how us nerds get down. While you're in the gym, while you're out there <laughs> with the ladies having a great time, we're in our basements debating this crap. This is how we get down. Because guess what? These guys don't fight every week, right? They fight twice a year. So that's but what the thing is. With the pound for pound, it's hard to say because how can you translate attributes? Like, okay, we know John Jones is strong, but how strong is he compared to what TJ Dillashaw seen? A ratio. Okay, we know John Jones is quick, but how quick is he compared to Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson? I'm talking about there's no one as quick as that, but Dillashaw has seen that. So that means that John Dillashaw can handle John Jones' speed. So it's, 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 it's like a lot of ifs and but ands and buts because then John Jones has faced Southpaw, so Dillashaw over the twist Southpaw make the difference. It's just, it's just so many variables, you know what I'm saying? It's hard to determine. It's hard to determine. That's why people can go off of, people can go off of what you've done, but at the same time, Certain weight classes are tougher than other weight classes. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's pretty much the best way for me to determine pound for pound is by your weight class. That's the, that's the best way. Cause it's just right. because like you get, you can actually get a gauge on who fought who and the sizes compared to getting a 125 pounder. Could Mighty Mouse beat Brock Lesnar? There? Yes, of course he could. All right, you know then, but just give me that one answer then. Give me a one word answer on what GSP was, the, the crux of what he's saying. If okay. you got a skeleton in your closet, can you be the goat? Uh, yeah, because everybody has skeletons in their closet. All right, that's, right. that's what I wanted. You gave it to me. Yeah. That's what I wanted. Because right. the thing is, check this out, right? Check this out, right? In the 20 years from now, they're just going to know the stats. Like, it's the thing about this, like, I'm pretty sure Sugar Ray, Ripper, Sugar Ray Robinson has had a few controversial losses that we don't even know about because we don't care. You also you're probably had, you also had 225 fights, yeah. Yeah, of course, you know what I'm saying? Even, 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 even guys that, even guys that have less, like, less fights, like, um, what's the guy, the fight, wait, the boxer, um, he's a fight, he's from Puerto Rico. He was like 50 and 0 and had one loss and, and, uh, he was a 105, a fly weight. I can't think of his name. You're not talking about, uh, uh, Fanito Lopez? You're not talking about that guy, right? No, 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 he's, 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 a, he's, a young, he's a little bit, um, younger. I can't think of his name, fly weight, but. Ivan Calderon? Yeah, yeah, Calderon, yep, Calderon. Look, it's a perfect comparison. You know what I'm saying? Like, you grab him and match him up with the, uh, another person. He's he's very skilled. You know what I'm saying? Very very skilled. But can he handle somebody else as big and strong? Probably not. But comparison to size, who knows how it translates? Because anybody as strong as Brock Lesnar at 125, could you imagine a 125 pounder that's comparable as Brock Lesnar in strength? No, no, that's no. impossible. It's impossible. Come on, that would be impossible. But that'd be crazy to see. <laughs> uh, King Mo, before we get into this Bellator stuff, there's 33 days between the time we are recording this podcast and UFC 230, November 3rd, MSG, and we still don't have a main event. And day by day on Nate Diaz's timeline on his Twitter account, it seems like some days he's in, some days he's out. Did you see that takeover him and Poirier tried to do by trying to float the idea of this 165 title bell and then Dana White said, whoa, hold, guys, what are you talking about? Heck no. This is interesting. It's, it's, it's a fun fodder, but what are we doing, King Mo? 33 days out, arguably the biggest fight card of the year outside of this weekend's biggest fight ever. And there's no main event. It, John, is John Jones coming in from the bullpen? What's happening here? 
I, I don't know, but I wouldn't say it's the like you could say it's the biggest car of the year or second biggest car of the year because who knows? Well, I'm yeah. saying in the three year history of going to MSG, they okay. load that crap up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think maybe they're just gonna throw it out there because I, I, I think they're, they're try, gonna try to focus on the Amanda Nunez cyborg card. That's what my think is. That's what I think. Cause that's that's the last card of the year. They're trying to finish with a bang. Um, I think with this one, they're probably just going to hint. They're probably going to tease the main event, but they're not going to have one. It's going to be Connor. I mean, it's going to be um, it's going to be Diaz versus Poirier, and they're probably have a good, bring in a good co-main or a good feature fight. Well, it looks like because they're trying to move tickets. Obviously, they're trying to move tickets without a main event. In the picture, they've been bumping up Rockhold Weidman too as a potential co-main. And by the way, I love the crap out of that fight. I've wanted that fight forever. But those two fights together. They're not New York. They're not MSG. So I don't know, man. I'm not giving up on this uh, Jones Gustafson two for the interim light heavyweight championship or however UFC wants to pin it. Whether they pull the belt off DC, I don't know how they're going to do it. I feel like we're still going to see that. Uh, probably. I, I wouldn't be surprised they put. If I were them, I put I put Jones and uh, Gustafson on the same card as uh, Daniel and uh, Brock if the fight happens still. Oh, that'd be a hell of a I don't know. I, is Brock still fighting Daniel? Uh, we think so. Brock has some WWE dates coming up. He's going to be in Saudi Arabia real it's soon. Gotten real, it's gotten real quiet. In the, uh, you know, it's kind of like pretty much like the John Jones come, uh, beating the case kind of took all the wind out of the sale of uh, sales from uh, Daniel. And, well, uh, I wonder uh, if UFC's like – we have the potential to make DC John Jones three right now. Should yeah. we risk it by Jones losing to Gus or, you know, Lesnar and, you Injured, know, we gotta yeah. wait, we gotta wait through Lesnar and DC. Maybe they're like, you know what? What are we doing here, guys? Let's cash that ticket. And that's what I'm thinking they're going to do. I, I, because if you look at most of the moves, most of the moves aren't really long term right now. Most of the moves are like now, now, now. Let's get money now, 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 not long term. So. I think I feel like they're 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 making moves on the whim, kind of like they're hoping the moves they make will end up being good long term moves. I could be wrong. I just I just think that like you know really, if I'm if I'm the UFC, I'm doing a a, mo- a multiple month, um, you know um how you call it presser with John Jones and 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 Daniel Cormier, and once in a while maybe I would see how the crowd reacts, and I bring in Brock Lesnar. But they probably, yeah, you know, they probably should just remove Brock because Brock is a lottery ticket that in, in theory, they can cash in whatever he want. He's not going anywhere. He's still going to be working for the WWE. You can cash that in. So like you said, build up this trilogy fight to be the biggest fight ever, quote unquote, cash that crap in because guess what? When they do a 1.8 million pay-per-view, that there's a lot of money in that. They can, you know, they can live off that money for a while. That that's a big chunk of their revenue for the year. So maybe they care a lot more than that. Then hey, the winner can fight Brock. Who cares? All right, we got to move on. Hey, you're I don't know if he's your guy. He's my guy. Fifty Cent. He's offering a million dollar prize for the uh winner of the Bellator Welterweight World Grand Prix, which kicked off on Saturday. Kingmo, where the hell was your one million opportunity for the heavyweight Grand Prix? What's going on here? I think he got extra assistance, quote unquote, from from Viacom. On that million dollars. Interesting. Interesting. Do you like because, his? Huh? Are you down with his get the strap apparel line? Will, you, will we be seeing you decked out and get the strap? No. Look, I, look I'm an '80s baby. One, <laughs> look, like back in the '80s, like we had fads that they seemed like they lasted longer. But now, like we had the ice bucket challenge, 
We had this challenge, we had that challenge, get the strap, man, man, man. Every, it's like every six months, a new thing, a new like quote or hashtag comes out, get the strap, and it's hot for six months, and then another one comes out. I'm not with that. No. But I'm glad he's doing it, because hopefully when, when, when these young fighters wears the get the strap apparel, they get more shine. Uh, does he have like a champagne line or something? What yeah, you, yeah. What's going on with that? You care about that? No, no. Nah, nah. I'm out drinking. Would you rather? Oh, you don't drink. Okay, I was gonna say, would you rather drink his champagne or Conor McGregor's uh, proper twelve whiskey? But if you're not a drinker, let's not touch either of those. All right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Look, personally, like they don't alcohol don't taste good to me, so I wouldn't. I'm not gonna buy anything that doesn't taste good to me. All right, all right I'm done with that. Uh. Quickly, Bellator, uh, Bantamweight, Michael McDonald retired at age 27. He's had a lot of injuries through his career, but this guy once fought for a UFC title. I always liked this guy. Hungry young kid. Tough break for him. You, you, you down with Michael McDonald? Yeah, man. Tough break. Um, I heard that he had a surgery and anesthesiologist messed up with a surgery. I hope he sues the breaks off that, um, hospital and anesthesiologist because they just might, they ruined the end of his career and, who knows what income he has for his kids? You know what I'm saying? I'm pretty sure he has income, but like that, that money from fighting was just supplemental income that could have helped. Well, he's always been honest. I remember he gave uh, ESPN's Brett Okamoto a real interesting interview at the tail end of his UFC run where he said, Hey, UFC, I literally can't afford, I've been injured for a year. I literally can't afford to do a t- training camp unless you can spot me money. I can't come back and fight for you. That was the first time I'd ever heard that type of open honesty. No, yeah. Um, there's a lot of stories like that, man, and uh it won't end until things change in the yeah. fight game. Well, he lost a uh, 58-second title bout to uh, Eduardo Dantas in July. It was a knockout. It was a tough break for him. Who we when he fought for a UFC title? Was that Aldo he fought? I'm trying to remember. Uh, no, I thought yeah, one thirty. I thought I thought he fought one thirty-five. Yeah, he went up. That's what's called not not doing your research. I, I can find that answer though. But uh, yeah, um, he got submitted by Faber. No, Faber wasn't the champion. I'm trying to think who did he? Fight? Oh, he fought Barrow. That's right. 2013, he fought Barrow. He got submitted in the fourth round. Yeah, that was when the yeah Team Baron. But you know when yeah, yeah. when the Baron era used to matter. All right, let's get into things that do matter, King Moan. What mattered over the weekend by far was Bellator 206. Look, this was a tent pole card, as your buddy Scott Coker likes to say, from the SAP Center in San Jose, which has always been his home base. And this was a damn good card. The launch for the DAZN run for now for uh, Bellator, uh, I like the broadcast. They used basically the same team that you see on the Paramount Network. And the card, I don't know if we needed a six-fight main card and the main event going on at 1.30 a.m. Hopefully, DeZoon and Coker can work that out. Outside of that complaint, King Mo, this fight card had, had something for everybody. It really did. It really had something. It was it was like every category, right? Like pound-for-pound fight. Yeah, I love it. Uh, old guy slop fest. Yep, got that. Young prospect on the way. Got that. Women's fight. Okay, it's got, it had all of that. I love this card. You weren't there, right? Correct? No, I wasn't there. All right. Well, I, it was a great card. I, wish, I, I think that... Maybe in the future for the zone, they should just be like, "Hey, when the fight, we'll put the fights out. If the fight ends early, no, no, we'll stop with the filler. We'll get the people in the back ready and bring them out because look, the great, great, great night of fights. It was great, but man, it went too long. Like there's too much time in between the fights because they ended so quick. You and I are East Coast guys these days, King Bo, and yeah. I'm I'm an old guy. I'm I'm 40 now." I, I can't, I'm not down with this. I, I'm thinking about moving to the West Coast just so I can start watching fights at 8 p.m., you know? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that was the great thing about you didn't miss anything on the on the on the West Coast, you know. But on the East Coast, man, I I, I stay up late anyway. I stay up late anyway to watch boxing, but you know, the, it gets hard when the fights are before it are boring. Not saying the fights in the zone are boring, but say you order a card on pay per view or you're watching a fight, and the fights leading up to the main event and the main, and the co-main are terrible. You might have to call the rap because if you stay up till the co-main and main, by the time it's all said and done, it might be 2.30. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not simple. Not good. Uh, Aaron Pico, the featherweight Uber prospect. Dude, he's back. And I say back because, of course, he lost that pro debut at the Bellator NYC pay-per-view. It was a big deal. He was hyped as really the most hyped prospect in MMA history ever. You, you saw those features. He can wrestle. He can box. He's working with Freddie Roach. He's doing it all. But after three showcase knockouts, he stepped up against world title challenger Leandro. He goes fresh off that bantamweight title loss to Darian Caldwell, moved up to featherweight, and first round TKO. Pico brought the damn boom. King Mo, anything negative to say about his performance? Because there was certainly so many positives, but was this the, the, the sort of, hey, I'm here moment that you needed to see to believe in him? Well, I already knew that it was there. It's just that, um, now, now, we, now people, everybody else has seen it. I feel bad for Higo because Higo really doesn't have, really shouldn't have been into 145. He had he didn't have the juice to keep to back Pico up. Pico kind of just walked through him and just smashed him. So now what's going to happen now with Pico? We're going to have Pico versus Caldwell because Caldwell's up in the weight class too. Well, Pico called man. out Pitbull. He got in his face in the corner after that fight. Did you see that? Uh, and I I didn't see I didn't see it. Pico like he's like I'm coming for you. Coming yeah, for that belt. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, he has time, man. He has plenty of time. I feel like in a, in a few years, he's going to be hard to beat. Well, the, he had that quote. He said, look, three to, hey, all you fighters out there, three to four years, nobody's touching me. He just turned 22. I mean, the swagger's there, but the complete game is there. I mean, we know that he's a wrestling phenom, a prodigy. He's talking about potentially taking some pro boxing matches. He's working with Freddie Roach all the time. He sparred with Cotto ahead of Cotto's retirement bout. I mean... This guy's got it all. Gets hit though, Kimo. He gets hit a lot. You got yeah, any yeah. fear in that? Well, nah, because like, Higo is a 135 pounder. Like, the guys that are hitting him had nothing for him. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like, it's not like he's like getting hit clean. Like, his hands are up. He's getting touched. He's not getting hit like super clean. Higo is technical. We'll look to see because like right now, he's on fire, man. Right now he's on fire. Pitbull, I think right now Pitbull might have too many, like, you know, Pit, he could he could possibly beat Pitbull. Pitbull's very dangerous because he's a good ground game. He bangs. Pitbull bangs though. You know, I don't not know. bangs, bangs, and he gets good kicks. And that's one thing Pico has, has yet to see. Anybody that can mix in good kicks or punches. That's when things change when you can deal with kicks. All right, but for now he looks incredible. So he he dropped the boom with the right hand that dropped Higo. But that referee, did you see that? I forgot the guy's name off the top of yeah, my he head. That guy almost let Higo hung out to dry. I mean, how do you yeah. not stop that fight? John McCarthy on the broadcast is screaming. He allowed Higo to get up twice, take flush shots again, and then it finally was that right forearm where the ref is like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this guy killed." That's about as yeah. bad as it gets, King Mo, at this level. Yeah, it's, it's pretty dang bad. Um, I thought like, the thing is like I can see why he gave Higo a chance because Higo was still moving, but the thing is he was still moving, but he still didn't have his wits about him. You know what I'm saying? And let's say Higo came back and won. And then everybody be like, "Man, that referee was a genius." Just like the Chet Congo Pat Berry fight. The referee in there, like, was like right on the border of could stop the fight at any time, but didn't. And Chet Congo came back. 
and probably has one of the best come from behind victories of all time. I'm gonna say that, but it's truly one of the best come oh, from behind victories of all time. And it's funny how those moments, like, like, I mean, it could go really bad, it can go really good. I always talk to Hall of Fame boxing referee Joe Cortez, who, after Manny Pacquiao dropped Juan Manuel Marquez three times in that opening yeah. round of their first bout, everybody's stopping the fight in that spot. Everyone, and he let it go. And then yeah. we have four, we have what I think is the greatest rivalry of our time in four incredible fights. So we probably don't get those four fights if that happens and that, if he stops it. So it's like, you never know where that's going to go. That's, that's very interesting. But, uh, do you run back the Pico loss against Ian Freeman? Do you do that for storyline purposes? Do you put that in a main event or do you just, we don't care about that. We're moving on. No, because that was a different weight class. Mind you, don't forget that was the weight class above the Pico loss cut down to 145. So the first, when he made his debut at 155, now he cut down to 145. Pico was interesting because Bellator like signed him what when he was like a teenager, and we're essentially paying him money for the future. Like, hey, we'll we'll deal with your expenses. You just keep training and getting better. I don't think I've seen that before. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, kind of. The UFC I think might have done that with a Basile Makeoff, but they didn't follow through with it. A Basile Makeoff. Was the guy, the Russian that went, that placed in Greco and freestyle the same year at world championships in Vegas. And he's a heavyweight. He's like six, 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 255, 265 pounds. Um, tall, lanky, hell of an athlete, great wrestler. And he was signed with the UFC, but the UFC has yet to do anything with him. And they signed him years ago. Very interesting. Uh, Carrie Melendez, the wife of, uh, Gilbert Melendez, the great fighter. Won a split decision in a women's strawweight bout against Dakota Zimmerman, who was making her pro debut. I really wasn't impressed here, King Mo. I know Carrie's got a good kickboxing background, but uh I don't think she's like a title challenger in Bellator anytime soon. Well, not. I think that was a third MMA fight. You know what I'm saying? And, and the thing is that you can, when you come from kickboxing and MMA, you need to worry about the takedowns and the grappling. So she, she, they're still building her. She'll come out right because you know how Scott Coker does things. He moves you the right way. They're gonna move her the right way. They're gonna build her into into a star. He does. He is. You know, he is very underrated in in, in terms of those things. How how he can develop someone. I'll I'll give Scott Coker that credit. All right, the fight that I really on paper that I cared about the most coming in. This was the debut of the welterweight world grand prix, and it was a trilogy bout between former champions Douglas Lima, Spartan Koreshkov, and the fight. <laughs> Suck the horn, as they say, King Mo. What the hell happened? Was this? It, it, it goes down as a fifth round submission for Douglas Lima. Koreshkov did not tap; he took a nap. But it was five rounds of what the heck's going on here? Is this where third fight? We know each other too well. Nobody wants to take a chance. I mean, Koreshkov is a banger. He didn't uh, bang, you, King Mo. What you, happened? You missed it. You missed it. You didn't see what happened earlier in the fight. Well, the leg kicks, right? The calf kicks. The moment, look. The moment the cat case landed, Koreshkov was like, oh, foot stances. Once he had foot stances, he became a one-two fighter. One-two spin kick. Uh, I don't have anything here. Let me go back to orthodox. Leg kick, leg kick. Let me go set back southpaw. Those leg kicks changed the fight. Just like the leg kicks changed the fight versus Lorenz Larkin. The leg kicks changed the fight almost versus Roy McDonald. Those calf kicks are vicious. No, they are, but knowing – and I know Koreshkov's evolved into a, a pretty good, well-rounded fighter, but – 
like he's a savage banger. I thought in those situations where he's like, look, you know, I'm getting the 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 limbs knocked out under me. I got to just stand and trade. We never had that stand and trade because, moment because the thing is like there was no like, the moment. Look, like I in practice, don't forget, America Top Team is the 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 home of the calf kick. In practice, <laughs> I felt a few calf kicks. You can't put weight on your foot. You know what I'm saying? And don't forget, he switched stances. So could you imagine switching stances when one leg is bad? Trying to throw combos with a guy that is in a strong, solid stance that can knock you out. Because when you switch stances, your defense is all thrown off. That's why you saw Chris Kyle circle, jab, jab, straight cross, jab, jab, straight cross. Switch stances, try to throw a leg kick or a punch. He gets kicked twice the calf, switch back to stance. And then Pitbull was like, not Pitbull, but um, Lima was like, you know what? I'm going to walk him down, walk him down. Okay, he has nothing for me. Okay. Okay, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. All right, time to end it. That's what happened. Well, it wasn't Lima. It wasn't Lima's fault. Grishikov no, had to make an adjustment. It really wasn't Lima's fault. And here's yeah. what you got to give Lima credit for: not just those those calf kicks, which were huge. This guy's takedown defense was top notch. I mean, King Mo, look, this guy's one of the best fighters in the world. He might be the most underrated fighter in the world. He gave Rory hell. He's a two time Bellator champion, and I think he's the favorite in this tournament. Personally, that's what I'm saying, King Mo. Yeah, um, yeah, he, I don't know yet. There's so many killers, but I think he might be the, 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 the favorite because of, of, because of his history. Um, I'm telling you that calf kick, man, people defend that. And if you don't defend the calf kick, get to worry about his left hook and right hand. Impotence for takedowns. If you go to the ground with him, he can submit you. Sneeze, good, good tie clinch, good takedown defense. Um, yeah, he's, he, and he's a good, big, strong, solid guy. Pretty solid cast tank. Uh, yeah, he's gonna be hard to beat, man. He's a good fighter. And, and, and yes, it, I mean Saturday we saw him nullify Kreshkov. Kreshkov looked great the first round, and that was it. So uh, Kreshkov had won a decision the first time to win the championship. Lima had knocked him out in that rematch to win it back. Lima essentially ends this feud, moves on. I believe he'll face the winner. Of that MVP Paul Daly match, which we, if you look at the bracket, they're next to each other. We don't have a date on that fight, but hell, holy crap. Lima against potentially MVP or forget that against Sentex. I mean, yeah, where, put me in the front seat for that fight. King Mo, this tournament's damn good. Like, I mean, this was the third most important fight on the card on Saturday. That shows you how good 206 was, but this tournament, I, I can't even that Neiman Gracie Ed Ruth one coming up on your card in Honolulu. I mean, that might be the, if Ed Ruth gets through that, he might be the new sleeper. He might be the Andre Ward of the Super 6 tournament in that regard. So my point on that is every matchup is must-see here. Yeah, and I, I have a feeling that, um, when, when is Lorenzo Larkin fight um, Eric Silva? I don't, that, that's the alternate bout. I don't know when that's taking place. I have a feeling the winner of that will be taking Roy McDonald's spot. Now that's an interesting statement right there. I, I don't know that you're wrong. I don't know that you're wrong, and we'll get to that because Rory took a heck of a gamble by taking the fight this weekend, knowing he's already signed on to fight John Fitch and defend his welterweight title in this tournament. Uh, King Bo, the Cobain was a heavyweight bout. Uh, the fourth time around here for these guys, 42-year-old Vanderlei Silva, 40-year-old Quentin Rampage Jackson. You know I like them extra sloppy. You know I like hashtag old guy fights. But this time around, I was pretty damn scared that this was going to be the bad end of old guy sloppy fights. The the Stefan Bonner, Tito Ortiz were so exhausted we're going to lay on each other type of old guy fight. It wasn't. They threw bombs. 
This was pretty damn fun, King Mo, and now we're talking about doing it a fifth time. Do you care? Do you care enough to get us to number five? When are they going to do it a fifth time? Are they talking about that? They're talking. They're both saying we're doing it. They're both talking hey, about that. Yeah, I thought it was a great fight. Um, nothing had to Quentin. Quentin, I know he was looking for a knockout. He got it. Vandalay was really, truly looking for a knockout. Vandalay, let's, 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 let's make this clear. Vandalay was winning the fight. Oh yeah, his con, his combos early on and stiff jabs. Oh, it was like, yeah, what, what straight punches? What about the straight punches? One, two, one, two, jab, jab the body, right hand the body. Hey, Vandalay was, Vandalay looked sharp. The thing is, he's just too small and maybe yeah. not in best shape. If they run, if they run it back, and Vandley could come in decent shape because Vandley was getting tired at the end of the first round. If Vandley could come in shape to fight for two and a half rounds, I think he'll beat Quentin. I think you might be right. And and Vandley was in much better shape for that Chael Sonnen fight that that for the from the Bellator NYC pay per view last yeah. year. And I mean, look, Quentin's a chubby dude, man. I mean, I the thing is though, he's tough. You've brought this out. You've said this before. He's not going to quit. So I don't know if 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 Quentin can be stopped. By, by no, 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 you don't gotta be stopped. Because the thing is, like, look, Quinn looked so slow. Uh, uh, only thing, only thing that saved him was Vandalay was tired and was slow too. But if Vandalay, Vandalay can just move for three rounds, like he could, like he was doing the other day, he'll beat Quinn in the rematch. Quinn, in order for Quinn to beat Vandalay, he has to lose a little weight. I don't know if he can because I heard he had a thyroid problem. But if he could shed about ten pounds, fifteen pounds, then that fight will be a lot closer. Yeah, he looked like a super heavyweight in there. Uh, this had the potential to be bad. These guys looked really old, but you know what? It was fun. Fifth fight, there's a story in there. I, I, I said there's something for everybody on this card. That's promoter talk. That's what Coker likes to say, but he was right. This really crossed off that box for nostalgia. They brought a fun fight. I'm down for a fifth one. Let's do it. I like to see these guys get a payday on the way out. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. All right, all right. All right that's cool. All right, the main event was the middleweight championship. Look. There were people saying this was the best fight on paper coming in in Bellator history, and it's hard to argue from this standpoint, Kimo. Two champions, two guys that are very pound-for-pound worthy, if you will. They're in that conversation in terms of the world. Two guys that came from the UFC in their perspective primes. Rory McDonald, the welterweight champion, moving up in weight. But there was that underneath storyline of Rory pushed for this. He also pushed that he needs to be in the welterweight tourney. Seemed like too much too soon. It seemed like, why are we doing this right now? But I was glad they booked it because it was interesting, but it did not turn out well for Roy McDonald. Gegard dominated him en route to a second-round TKO. It was pretty brutal at the end with Rory all bloodied up. Is it fair after the fact to do the whole Rory, what were you thinking thing? Well, well here's the thing, right? My worry about that fight was, in order, the only person I've seen move up a weight class only people I've seen, only in boxing, was like Lomachenko or Floyd. They moved up and didn't have to have the power to beat you. They just had the technical skills. George St. Pierre moved up versus Bisping. He had the technical skills, but he had the power as well to hurt Bisping because Bisping knows Bisping can, can be hurt. Roy McDonald's not known for his one-punch power. But he also didn't Roy- move up in weight because he's got the welterweight turning, so he came in as a welterweight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came, he came in as a welterweight. But really, he came in as a middleweight for that fight because he weighed in at 184. He just didn't have the style. Stylistically, he don't have the the style to be effective at 185 versus that caliber fighter. He you landed two nice right hands in the first round, Kimo, but that really may have been it. 
Yeah, but, but, and the thing is, land them two right, nice right hands. And guess what? Gegar was like, oh, what? Mosquito bites? Let me <laughs> walk right through those. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is how I knew, like, Roy, Roy was in a solid stance to get off power shots, and he got him off, and he held, he still had to back up. And that says a lot. If you're in a stance to land power, yet you're still backing up, that means the person in front of you is taking whatever you have to give and not even worrying. It's well said. That jab from Gegard, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen someone's head on every single jab, like, snap backwards. Well, well for that fight, just the size difference, man. Gegar, Gegar might have been 200 pounds, you know what I'm saying, when he went in the cage. Now, that was a pretty reckless, uh, what, what, describe to us what that takedown attempt was in the second round that Rory tried that really led to him being on his back. Soon he gave up full mount, then the fight was over. What the heck was that, a baseball slide? Oh, no, no, he was trying to pull guard. I think, um, he was trying to pull guard or pull into the 50-50 where, you know, it's 50-50 for the legs. So it's like a, you go first a leg lock position. He tried to go for that because he tried to go for that same move versus uh, Wonder Boy. I think in the third, third or fourth round when he fought Wonder Boy and he couldn't get it, so he tried again versus Gegard. Gegard squashed it and then. But that didn't seem. I, I know he was sort of out of options already early in that second round. He's getting stung with the jab, but we know Gegard's top game is intense, and he sort of slid right into failure. Uh, I know it's all hindsight here, but but you know Rory slid right into failure. He's on his back against Gegard. And it just wasn't, you know, it, it didn't take yeah, long. Yeah, but, but see, but see, it's like this, right? What, what do you want to take chances in? Because at least on the ground, he could protect himself somewhat and tap. But standing, it got to the point where he's getting stung so much that eventually, if you get hit with a jab that stiff and your head snapping back, eventually you get hit with the left hook, left uppercut, right hand, right uppercut, knee, head kick, body kick. When you land the jab that clean, eventually something else more powerful. That's clean and land behind it. That's fair. So I think Roy was like, you know what? I'm not trying to get knocked out and be a highlight reel. Let me see if I can get the submission. Go for a takedown. Didn't happen. Okay, let me grapple here. I'm safe here. I'm getting punched. Okay, let me protect myself. Tap. That's what he did. He tapped. Try to protect himself. Wasn't effective. Gegard was just too big, too strong, too technical on the ground for, for Roy McDonald. You know, if you're a Roy fan... And I've always loved Roy from the beginning. By the way, he's not even 30 years old yet. You fear for the damage. That Lawler fight was the kind that, that really shortened careers when he lost that title bout fight of the year a couple years ago in the UFC. Even that Doug Lima fight earlier this year to win the welterweight championship, five rounds of, it was pretty brutal at times. I mean, that was a long, hard fought battle. Now he gets his nose crushed again, elbows forward. You forgot one fight. Which one? Um, when he fought Wonder Boy, because that might have been even worse. That's that's a good point. Because he got don't forget apart. Wonder Boy, I think his nose started bleeding by the first or second round, and once that happened, he kept on he kept on getting beat up for the rest of the fight. And yeah. that after that fight, he didn't fight for a full year. So that's the fear here. The fear in this question is if you really care about Rory, is look when he came on the scene from GSP's can't you know TriStar Gym in Montreal. He was a golden boy on the rise. He was, holy crap, this guy's a killer, good-looking guy, cool personality. He's going to be a UFC champion. And every time he stepped up to that level, King Mo, it didn't happen. Now, granted, God, he went five, four, four and three-quarter rounds with Robbie Lawler for uh, in hell. So I'm, when I say it didn't happen, it's not a knock against him. But you know what? It didn't happen. Fought Stephen Thompson. It didn't happen. 
yeah, he won the welterweight title here, but he went, he dared to be great and it didn't happen. Is he destined to sort of never fulfill that promise? Even though he's, he is where he is now. He's the Bellator welterweight champion. I sort of feel like he may never have his true moment. Well, I wouldn't say that. The thing is, like, his match with Gate, the fight with Gagarb wasn't really a true moment. This is a test. Like, hey, let me see how good I really am. And the thing is, like, he was competitive. It's just that Gagar was just too big. He was competitive the first round. Gagar was just too big. He took that chance. That has nothing to do with his legacy at welterweight. That's fair. Because that's the case. If that's the case, then Shugray Robinson, we should be, we should, we, people should be worried about him when he moved from middleweight to cruiserweight. I mean, like heavyweight to try to attain that belt. So really, he just took a gamble. Kim was short. He's still young. Still very experienced. Hopefully, his nose ain't too damaged, so he's still fresh. Because he can get back in this tournament and put put together another, you know, good run. Well, in his favor is that he'll be fighting John Fitch, who's 40, former World Series of Fighting Champion, longtime UFC veteran, but a guy who's probably not going to hurt him, right? I don't know, because John Fitch, look, now, he fought Gegard. We all know what type of damage he took with Gegard. We don't know what shape his nose is in. He comes back. We don't know for elbow or a forearm or a jab might miss his nose up again. We don't know if he's even gonna fight it. We don't know what's happened and what the what the um consequences are from this last fight on his body. We don't know that yet. This is, we have to wait and see because John Fish might be trained for um trained for Roy McDonald, but might end up getting Eric Silva or uh Larkin. I mean that's fair. You got some sober takes today, King Mo. You're bringing the heat. Uh quote from McDonald, he put a statement out on Twitter. Last night was a tough one for me. Unfortunately, I didn't mentally show up ready to take on a competitive fight and froze in the cage. In this sport, you pay a high price if you're not dialed in and ready to go. I have zero excuses. Gegard was a fantastic champion last night, end quote. Uh, I think there's a couple words that leap out at you, King Mo. It's, I froze in the cage and I didn't mentally show up. What is he saying here? I, I think that, here's the thing. I think that uh, he feels like he didn't compete to the best of his capabilities because the way he looks, he got dominated. But I, I think he was ready. Uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you How can you not show up all of a sudden when you've been fighting since you're 16, 15? I think that he's ready. I think that Gegard was just too big for him. So there's no fear think, in that statement that he's trying to say, "Hey, people, my heart, I'm losing my heart for this sport." No, nah, I think that I think that I think they're just trying to, hey, because the thing is, bro, the the. The, the performance is so bad, it might have gave someone like John Fitch or anybody at the welterweight division, um, hope. You know what I'm saying? Cause he, cause, cause, cause really Rory didn't show nothing but a jab and a right hand. Two right hands and a few misled kicks and a few bad takedown attempts. So everyone's like, oh, that's what he has? And then they see him, they see, they see him tap to strikes with a busted up nose. They know he's a history of messed up nose. Fair. Of having a messed up nose or damaged nose. So what happens? Coming back when he, when he enters the tournament, because say let's say he gets past John Fitch in a war, the more the more and more fights he has, they're tough. By the time he gets to the finals, he's gonna be a shell of himself if he has some if he has more and more wars like that. Well, I said he hasn't had his moment, and I fear for that. But you know what? He couldn't get a, he could get a nice moment by coming back, winning this welterweight tournament, beating guys like potentially MVP or Doug Lima or whoever comes out of there and showing people that I'm still. The, the what is he the Red Dragon? What does he call himself? The damn Red King? Is that what he's calling himself? Red King, I guess. Yeah, the he's Red been the King. Red King because he's got blood all over his face all the time. He's got to come back and prove something. It'll be fun to watch. King Mo, we got to throw to this sound. 
from UFC Hall of Famer, Uriah Favor, who joined the show, recorded this a couple days ago, excited to share with the people. Enjoy. All right, the California kid doing great, man. Thanks for giving me a few minutes today. No problem, man. How are you? Doing great. Hey, bro, I know you still got the baby face, but at some point will the California kid ever become the California man? I always wanted to ask you that. Uh, I don't think so, man. We'll, uh, we'll keep the California kid. Maybe California king. We can move into oh, that. I like that. I, I like that. And everything, but, uh, gotta keep it real around here. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, great to get a chance to talk to you. You're, you're retired. You're in the UFC Hall of Fame, but you're staying really, really busy. And, and one important thing I want to hit you up with right off the top. What the heck's going on with this grappling match you got going on the night before McGregor? Nurmagomedov, biggest fight in UFC history, October 6th in Vegas. The night before October 5th, same city, you'll be grappling with the legend, Kazushi Sakuraba. Tell us about this, man. Yeah, man, it's kind of crazy. For those that don't know the quintet setup, it's basically based out of Japan. It was uh, the brainchild of, of Kazushi Sakuraba, and it's it's kind of wild. It's a cumulative team of five guys. Everyone has to be under 943 pounds. Uh, as a group, so you can have different sized guys. You can have, you know, one 400 pound guy and a bunch of 100 pound guys, or, uh, you know, however you want to, however you want to split it up. So, um, and it's five different teams. So you've got, you know, 10th Planet has a team. Sakuraba's got a team. The Polar- Polaris has a team. And we're just compiling, you know, a bunch of studs to, to go compete against another team. And my, my match is the first one. It's my team versus Sakuraba's team. And he and I are starting off the, the match. If he submits me, he stays in. If I submit him, I stay in. And if neither of us gives the submission, we're both eliminated. The next two guys come in. So, uh, kind of wild, man. It's really cool. If you haven't seen it, you can check it out on, on, uh, Fight Pass. And it's kind of dramatic. You got big guys going against small guys and, and legends of, of the MMA world facing, you know, current guys in, in BJJ. It's pretty cool. Yeah, the Quintet 3 card, Orleans Arena in Vegas, night before UFC 229. I like that setup where, like, a survive and advance thing. So there's the potential, Uriah, that you could be going in a grappling war against somebody as big as heavyweight Josh Barnett. Can you can you hold yeah. your own with that kind of weight difference? What would that look like? I think so. You know, I mean, I guess you don't know until, until we find out, but, um, you know, when that's the coolest thing about jujitsu, of course, size matters in, in some things, but speed matters and strength and, and then technique matters. So yeah, I think probably if I beat Sakuraba, Josh Barnett might be my next match, um, which would be super interesting that the one thing is there's eight minute matches. So like Sakuraba and I will go for eight minutes submission only. But if there's a 44-pound or more weight difference, like against me and Josh Barnett, then it's only a four-minute match. Interesting. So, so it, the, the chance of me submitting him uh, are a little bit less. He's a very good guy. He's a big guy. But if he can't submit me, then we're both eliminated. So I can take out one of their, their key players by, by 
you know, going the distance with them in a four-minute match. So, I don't know. There's a lot of strategy. It's like human chess. I'm, I'm pretty pumped for it. And the cool part for you is is starting off against Sakuraba, the, the Gracie killer, the legend. I've, I've heard you say in the past that he's your favorite fighter. Why is that so? You know, when I first started fighting, I, I uh, you know, I was looking around for all the guys that I was looking up to, and, and there was, you know, Randy Couture, who was, who was someone that, you know, carried himself with class, and there was a self-promoter, Tito Ortiz, and, and I, I like both those guys, you know, Tank Abbott was just down to brawl all the time. And, and, uh, you know, we had, uh, who else? We had, you know, all the Brazilian guys that, that were, they were bringing new stuff to the game, but Sakuraba, I had a video cassette of his, a VHS of like two and a half hours that somebody had, had, had given me. And I just liked his spirit out there. I mean, he was, uh, he was a guy that, that was like making up moves. He would do like jumping, flying karate chops. And I remember I watched a special match between him and, 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 uh, and, uh, and Caesar or, or Gracie against, uh, Carlson or Hickson, not Hickson. <laughs> what am I thinking about? About, uh, anyways, he was undressing, he was undressing the, the gi on on the on his opponent and making everybody laugh and I just like the spirit man and then he was killer. He has nineteen submissions. I have nineteen submissions. I think we're tied for, for number one or number two in the history of all the different organizations. So um he's my kind of guy. Love it. Love it. was it Hoyler Gracie you were thinking of or was it Ryan? Um He's fought them all. I think it was. If you got the last yeah, name he Gracie, fought he's fought you. That, that's what that's what it comes down to right there. All right. All right, yeah, all right. I mentioned you're an insanely busy guy. Of course, you're in the UFC Hall of Fame. You retired with a victory over Brad Pickett last December. But you got the Team Alpha Male gym going, which is producing some of the top fighters in UFC. And you got a new partnership with Renaissance Periodization, company you're joining forces with, with diet and training backed by science. And they're going to be working alongside you to really work on, I guess, strategic dieting. Why is this important for you and your fighters moving ahead? You know, we've been taking notes from the, the UFC PI. And, I mean, what, what we have is, as a team is we have a heart and we have a, a, a bunch of guys that, that want to be the best. But we got to add in that, that diet and strength and conditioning science and and that's what RP is. I, RP, RP Renaissance Periodization does diet templates, uh, templates, and they do it from, uh, you know, professors, doctors, dietitians, and world champs in all different categories. And when I, when I got introduced to them, it was through another partner of ours in Trifecta Nutrition. Uh, I, I saw the value that they brought. So we worked something out where they're going to be providing, uh, their, Diet templates that are already put together, and a few of our guys had used them in the past. The guys like Josh Emmett, um, they're already put together. And then for uh, a handful of our fighters, we'll actually be working one on one with some of their professionals, some of their dietitians and doctors, and and coming up with their own specific plans just for their strength and, and diet needs. So, for for what we're trying to do, and not get the edge and and have the best training camp in the planet, um, you know, adding a, a player like rp is huge for us and, and they they've proven that they 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 know what they're doing and then they've you know taken advice from all these other champions of different different sports and, and top professionals so it's a perfect match for us 
Yeah, and reading about them, it, it certainly gives you an opportunity to, to, like you said, take your gym to the next level. But how important is it in light of all the trouble we see with weight cutting? And it just seems in the past year and a half, man, there's just so many big fights falling apart at the last minute. Guys missing weight by five, six pounds. How much does joining up with a program like this end up helping that in the long run? I mean, it's big. You know, I, I think, um, you know, the, the secret to, to not having that happen is, is good planning and staying consistent, but the right science and, and having programs that you can keep on without having to overthink things is super important. And when we started talking with RP, it was, it was real apparent that they've got this down to a science and, and we'll take every advantage we can get. And that has been a big issue, you know, weight loss and, and, um, you know, making the weights, but also, uh, being in tip top shape physically. Cause it's, it's one thing to, to eat good, it's one thing to be, you know, have have low body fat, but it's another thing to be the strongest possible person you could be, and that's what we're working on with our guys because uh, every every bit counts in this in this sport, especially at the, the level that we're at. You know, we're fighting against the best guys on the planet. Absolutely, and and speaking of somebody staying in great shape, you're not only preparing for for a big grappling tournament or or match at the very least, but You've kept your name in the USADA testing pool, Uriah Faber, despite officially retiring. What does that mean, bro? Because you're giving us the feels as fans once in a while. Like, is he planning something? What's happening here? <laughs> you know, for me, I, it's just not a big hassle. I, I feel like um, in our sport especially, opportunities pop up all the time. And I didn't retire because I couldn't fight anymore. I, you know, a lot of my peers or, or guys that I've looked up to have gone, um, you know, into their forties and, and, you know, even in the late forties and, and winning big fights and, and having big purses and stuff like that. So, um, I'd never be against coming back. It's just not what I'm planning on right now, but I like the opportunity to, if I decide something sounds good to be able to jump in, I know that they, they have a rule that if you're not in the, in the USADA pulling that you can't, you can't jump in unless you're, you know, wait another four months and and that's not how you get opportunities uh like the ones i would be interested in you know they don't happen four months in advance they're usually like hey we've got this opening and this opening and it's, it's a good match and a good a good story so um just you know you never know and it's no sweat off my back because i don't i don't use any uh peds and i don't use any um and it's illegal so it, it doesn't bother me other than getting woken up at six in the morning on occasion that's kind of irritating but let's go right to bed afterwards <laughs> i mean if you can still fight and and you feel great and you're in great shape and you're working out all the time then you can almost get into where like that rich where rich franklin was at the end of his career where it's like he was always sort of in the bullpen they need somebody at middleweight they need somebody at light heavyweight need somebody on three days notice for this main event so i get why that becomes strategic for you especially financially especially to make fun and dream fights so what kind of fights would get you back is it like a hey you want to go fight bj penn for fun or is it hey you want to go do a pro wrestling angle with TJ Dillashaw? What would get you back in there? You know, I don't really know. I just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy that's ready for opportunities. I, I don't want to be a guy that's, that's, you know, jumping back in and go full go right now. I've got a lot of other things on my plate, but, uh, you know, it's still my passion, mixed martial arts. I'm in the gym every single day and, um, 
you know, working with the guys every single day and doing these competitions and stuff. So I don't know, you know, it's, it's not the plan necessarily, but, uh, but I'll be ready. And, and I'd hate to miss out on an opportunity because I wasn't in the, in the USADA test pool. And so, you know, I'll just keep my options open and, and keep living my life. Well, you're 39. You're, you're, you know, what, a couple of years removed from your last title shot. You were able for a guy in the small weight classes. And, and if we're honest, you're one of the first guys to really make a name and a face for yourself in the small weight classes who was able to hang on late into your thirties and still be an elite guy. What's your secret? Why were you able to do that when, you know, guys that have had success at bantamweight, flyweight, featherweight t- tend when the speed goes away to peter out earlier? Um, you know, I think there was other guys that were able to do it. I, to be honest, we weren't in the, in the actual limelight until a little bit later because I kind of helped establish that. So, uh, you know, we, I, I was 32, nearly 32, I think, when they, they brought my weight class into the UFC. And, um, and there was a lot of guys before me, you know, Kid Yamamoto is a good example of that. Like, Kid Yamamoto was a superstar in Japan when I was just getting started, uh, rest in peace. I, I, I'm sure you heard the kid, kid Yamamoto had cancer and just passed away last week. Um, but, uh, he was a guy that, that was a, a big name guy that, that you, you didn't really hear about in the U S cause the sport hadn't caught up yet. I think we're going to start seeing more, more lightweight guys. But for me, the, the secret has been consistency. It's been, you know, healthy lifestyle inside and outside of the gym. Um, you know, continuing to improve, that's important. A lot of people stop learning and stop getting better and think they know everything. Um, having a real open mind uh, to learning and, and then just believing in myself. You know, some good genetics helps, obviously, and, and that partially is, is you know, because of having a life, healthy lifestyle, giving myself the best chance. But, yeah, I feel like I can compete now. I mean, I, I still get in there and compete with the best guys in the world in, in the gym, and, and I feel like I could do it. Uh, but moving forward at some point, I'm going to want to use my brain for the next phase of things. And yeah. so, you know, it was, it, it seemed like the time for me. You were always able to reinvent yourself. You, you, you didn't, you know, you never had a two, three, four fight losing streak. So how hard is it to see a guy like, let's say Hennon Burrell, who you had two title fights against, who was on top of the world, arguably pound for pound best, and then can go on a six fight losing skate or something like, like he's going on now and still be so young. Yeah, that's, that's kind of wild. And I mean, I guess it comes down to what are you attributing that to? You know, did, did he, he lose his confidence? Is his, you know, training lesson, you know, what, what, what's the cause of his, uh, of his demise? You know, there's, there's rumors and, and theories and things like that, but it's a very individual sport. So you can't really point to, uh, one thing or the next as far as, uh, you know, what what we think it is, and and he only knows. But yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. See a guy going a, a streak like that. Absolutely. I want to get your take, of course, on uh, on the big UFC 229 main event, Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov, specifically to what McGregor's doing here, coming back after two years. And you know, you got to give him the respect. He's, he's, there's no soft touches at this level in the UFC, and he's certainly going after the toughest name available in probably the deepest division. How important will that two-year gap be when, when you're talking about something like cage rust for a guy like Connor who relies on timing? Is that something we should worry about as fans and critics looking at it, or, or is he somehow immune to that? 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a myth. The whole ring dust thing. I I had a big break after I broke my hand against Mike Brown, and you know had surgery on my hand and, and everything else. And I stayed super active the whole way through. If he stayed active in the gym and and everything else, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that Connor believes in himself. I think that's the most important thing. And on top of that, he took some time and really focused on on one area, which was you know getting good with his hands because he had to fight the best boxer on the planet with, with Floyd Mayweather. So um, when, when you're when you're talking about a guy that you know never really lost the title and and is hungry and spent his off time having maybe the biggest fight, you know, one of the biggest fights of all times. Um, I don't think you can say ring rust is going to be there. The question is, has he put in his time grappling? Because in a two-year period, you can make some massive, massive improvements on jiu-jitsu and wrestling uh, with the right training and the right, you know, method of attack. And the question is, has he done that? If he has, and he's a champion for a reason, so he must understand how to train properly, then I, I think the odds are in his favor. If he hasn't, then, then you got to go with Khabib. Now, you know, it's always been wrestling is the weakness for Connor. We always say if, if Chad Mendes fought Connor with a full camp, who knows how that fight would have ended. Can Connor win this match without being proficient at wrestling? Is there a scenario where that happens? I mean, I don't think he's not proficient in wrestling. He's definitely not at Chad Mendes' level, but neither am I. I mean, Chad, take me down. I never get to take him down. Um, Khabib seems like he's in that same category is Chad Mendez. He's super, super elite. So, uh, I mean, there's a lot of scenarios where he can, he can do well. I mean, I think one is, uh, Khabib not being able to put him away in the fight going into deep water and, and Connor still being fresh enough to, to throw heavy punches when, when fatigue sets in. The second one is catching Khabib early. Uh, Khabib's got a, a real tendency to, to march forward like he's invincible. And as we've seen, Connor has a, has a heavy hand he can hit really hard and uh he's got precision so i mean not every day you see a guy putting down guys like jose aldo and chad mendez and and then you know the list goes on of guys that uh eddie alvarez guys that that connor's knocked out that don't usually get knocked out so um khabib i think needs to be cautious in this fight he can't just be emotional and march forward and just drop his hands and take punches. He's got to be real strategic and, and kind of desperate for a takedown. That's how I see it. You mentioned there the, hey, he's knocked out guys that don't get knocked out. And when you when you scout somebody like Connor, sometimes we use these terms like he's got magic. And I want to ask you if that's BS or not. Is there, is there something to a guy who can elevate himself on the highest level to a performance we didn't see coming? I'm not saying he's like dabbling in the dark arts, Uriah, but is there something to that where there's almost a magic that follows him in these big moments and he's able to just, you know, bring that out of him? You know, I don't know if it's magic. Obviously, there's got to be some work ethic there and some natural talent and, and you know, some good luck. But uh, I think the self-belief thing is, and I've got Coach Lee Kemp, who's a three-time world champion. He was Olympic coach in 2008. He's one of the most successful wrestlers of all time in in U.S. And, and he has been coaching at, at Team Alpha Male, which has been awesome. He's uh, just mostly to get his perspective on things has been what's been kind of a game changer. But he, he said something to me that, that 
that kind of made sense from a sense of, of how I felt about when I used to fight and how I think Connor feels and, and there's other guys that I've, that I've seen have the same mentality. And it's like, you want to have done so much and believe in yourself so much that you can't fathom it like utterly shock you and rock your world. If you were to lose, you just can't believe it. You know, and that's what, that's what coach Kemp said. He's like, yeah, I, I trained so hard and I did so much and I believed in myself so much. If I were to lose, it would be like, it would just rock my world. Cause I, I couldn't fathom it. Of course, you know, everybody's had losses. I, I, I know he, he, he wrestled Dave Schultz, I think 12 or 13 times, but he beat him nine times in a row and he lost a couple times also. But, uh, so it's no fairy tale land. You can't just win all the time, but I really believe that, you know, the best guys, a guy like Connor who's having big moments, believes in himself so much. And I think Khabib's in the same way. That's why everybody's going to tune in to watch this fight. You know, these guys really, really believe that they can't lose. So um, as long as that belief is still there, it hasn't been shook by losing to Floyd Mayweather or some of these other losses. Um, and I think, I think uh, you know, we're going to see the best – you know, the best of both guys. Hey, great, great stuff. Great analysis there. And, and, and thank you for your time, Uriah. In closing here, right. I, I want to get this one quick question answered. True or false? Before UFC 196, when RDA fell out with injury, did it really, were you in that conversation? Was it really down to you and Nate Diaz to face Connor? Yeah, it was between me and Nate. And actually, Dana said I, I was going to get the fight. I was going to go up two weight classes. So I'd have been fighting at 155. And it was on two weeks' notice. And then, uh, you know, Dana was telling me that, you know, I know he's, I said you wouldn't be able to fight him because I was always trying to jockey for a fight when we were coaching the ultimate fighter and everything else. And he's like, but this is, you know, this is a big opportunity, blah, blah, blah. And so I made some calls and found out what was really going on. Uh, Aldo wasn't going to take the fight. I can't remember. I think he was injured. Pettis wanted the fight, but he was on a two-fight losing streak. Connor turned down Cowboy because he said that Cowboy had no heart after he lost to RDA and he didn't want to fight him. Um, and uh, Frankie Edgar was injured. I spoke with him, and it and it came down to Nate and I. Wow. <laughs> and I talked to Nate, and Nate told me the negotiation that was going on, and he said that they wanted to sign him to a crappy long deal but pay him for a one-time fight, and he said no and told him to F off. <laughs> and so then it came down to me. <laughs> so... I was I was all in, and then um, by the time I I got to Vegas to go get checked out by a doctor and everything else because my rib was messed up, uh, Dana said, "Hey, we're we're going with Nate," and they decided to pay the guy. So that was it. Dude, what would that a fight have looked like? That's some dare to be great stuff from you for for uh, going after that. Oh yeah, I mean honestly, I've got 19 submissions, the most submissions in the, the history of the sport. Uh, not, you know, they say UFC submissions, this submission, that submission. I think me, Sakuraba, and Big Nog have cumulatively, you know, between Pride, WC, Strike Force, and UFC, the most submissions. Um, and Connor's been submitted, what, three times now, something like that. <clears throat> That's his weakness. So, uh, I was, I was pumped to have that fight. Wow, that'll always be a what if. I'll always be like, what would have happened that night? Because you never know on two weeks' notice. You never know if that's going to hurt you or help you because there's not enough time to prepare. It would have been wild, Uriah Faber, but you've had a great well, run. Well, Connor's, 
Connor's smart. I mean, at, at the end of the day, he got to go up and 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 inflated as he as if he fought a guy at 170 pounds, even though Nate's only a 155 pounder. So he got to say he went up and fought a bigger guy instead of me coming up two weight classes to fight him. And then Nate and I are, are somewhat similar. I have a little bit better wrestling, and he's uh, obviously bigger and longer. And we're both good jujitsu guys. So um, I think Connor was was thinking like that. And, uh, I mean, it backfired in that fight, but uh, there was a great trilogy after that. Oh, man, we could have saw some great trash talk between the two of you. Re- rehash the python skin. You know what I'm talking about. That would have been great. <laughs> yeah. That would have been great. Hey, great yeah. chatting to you, with you, buddy. Best of luck on uh, Friday, October 5th in Vegas for Quintet 3, and also all the good work you're doing with Team Alpha Male, the new deal you signed with Renaissance Periodization. A lot of great stuff with with dieting for your fighters. And in the back of my mind, I know one day we'll see you back for some legend versus legend stuff inside that octagon. Can't wait, bro. Thanks so much. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Oh, nice chat. And of course, with Uriah Faber, great dude. Are, are you down with this grappling event on Friday night? Seeing him and Sakuraba in Vegas the night before 229. Does that, I don't, that doesn't move me. Does it move you? Ah, you know what? Not really, but at the same time, there are people, Uriah Faber fans out there, there are a lot of old school Pride and UFC fans out there that love Sakuraba. So let them get a chance to, it's a little exhibition grappling event, you know, let them get a chance to see both of the favorite or both legends compete in a grappling event. That's, that's cool. It's kind of that weird setup where if you win, you advance. So he says he could be grappling Josh Barnett for all he knows after he gets through Sakuraba. So hey, hey, if if it's all fun and games in the end, no one gets hurt. I mean, what are you trying to tap people though, right? Yeah, um, Uriah, just lose. You don't want to face Josh Barnett. <laughs> Trust me on that. Barnett is a whole different animal on the ground. I used to get smashed by Josh Barnett years ago. It's painful. Uh, one interesting thing that came out of that talk, Kingbo, is, uh, Faber, I know he's revealed this in the past, but he told us the full details of UFC 196 when Dos Anjos pulled out of that title bout against Connor and Nate Diaz was subbed in. There was a period there where it wasn't going to be Nate Diaz. It was going to be Uriah Faber moving up to 155. And he talked about how confident he was that he saw a hole in McGregor's jujitsu game that he was going to go in there and tap him. I don't want to tell him to his face there, but uh that would have been a bad night for uh Uriah Faber. Your thoughts? I don't think so. I At think it was a good night. The dude's a yeah. phantom weight. Yeah, but here's the thing. For that first time, because that's the first time we've seen Connor actually try to defend the takedown. No one knew that. And Connor didn't know that either. He didn't know that. He didn't know that. Connor Connor knew that he was facing a wrestler on short notice that has had a history of gassing. I don't think I think if Uriah favors could got a takedown, which he possibly could have, Uriah could have submitted him. Wow, that, that, you're gonna see. I think that size difference would have been brutal for him. So maybe it's just it depends on it depends on how how um how um Connor would have um adapted to the takedown the takedown attempt, and he had no sprawl because you see Chad Mendez took him down with ease. That's true. In favor you know working saying? with Mendez, and favor and favor, and favor would took him down and controlled him. With the half guard, full guard, side, he would have jumped guillotine because he, you know, Chad Mendes jumped guillotine because he was getting tired. And when he jumped guillotine, guess what happened? It gave Conor McGregor a chance to scramble back up, thus eventually leading to that knockout. 
That would have been an interesting fight. Uh, I'm glad we went the Diaz way. I think it opened up a lot, <laughs> a lot of big things for the sport. But it's yeah. an interesting factoid to certainly look back on. Uh, it's time, King Mo. It's UFC 229, T-Bowl Arena, Las Vegas. It's time to get into it. We heard, of course, uh, Faber's thoughts, reactions. Since we've last talked, uh, both Habib and Connor has started to do some some long, full-length interviews. Habib sat down with Brett Okamoto of ESPN. I'm not sure if you saw that. But one of the big takeaways, King Mo, was that Habib's face was all kinds of banged up and bruised and marked up. Is that, is that normal? Is that Some people are reading into that and being like, oh, he's trying to go extra hard sparring to prepare himself. He's getting too crazy. He's getting too manly. Connor's going to discipline him. Is that normal to have your face all marked up ahead of a fight this big? Yeah, because a lot of times, the markups can become, can come from the gloves, Velcro on the gloves, from a lot of grappling. It happens all the time. It's not the punches, cause you're, a lot of times you're wearing headgear and, and, you know, put Vaseline on and, you know, you might get hit, but it's the big gloves. But when you go with the small gloves, cause a lot of times you go big gloves, take the big gloves off, put the small gloves on. Small gloves has Velcro. And a lot of times that Velcro, you know what I'm saying, maybe elbows and just contact. Tends to bruise the face. Yeah, I mean, it's all surface wounds there. That's, that's an interesting point yeah. on the Velcro. It, it, it seems to say something that maybe it's not really saying to, to a, to a casual observer. That's what yeah, we have the expert. Yeah, because yeah, the thing is like, the thing is like, I've seen Habib train and, like, and if you watch his fight style, when he's on top of you, he uses his head to get in position. A lot of people frame. They frame. They push on his head. They push his head. They put the forearm and the, the, the forearm and the glove by the face to push away. That leads to scratches, bumps and bruises. On the face. Also from that Habib interview with ESPN, uh, he was his normal intense self, obviously. But Kingmo, he's talking a lot about, I mean, so the, the confidence is through the roof. Like that's who he is. But he's talking a lot about, I'm going to humble McGregor. I'm going to talk to him. I plan on talking to him throughout the fight. I plan on changing him as a person. And then, you know, Brett Okamoto came back and said, well, if you can, if you can knock him out in the first minute, would you? And he's like, well, yeah, but so what I got from that was Habib is, He's trying to put, he wants to punish him. He wants to, it was all, it, it gives me the feeling of Rousey Tate 2 when Rousey seemed to let that fight extend to try to prove a point. I don't know if Habib should be coming in with that mindset, King Mo, that I'm gonna, that I'm going to humble and embarrass this guy. He said slap. He wants to slap him a whole bunch of times. No, no, no. I, I think that's the right, right, that's the, that's the right mentality. And here's why. You watch when Connor fought Dustin Poirier. What did Connor do? Get in his face. And get and, and got Dustin so mad, and I saw that. So I go back to Jen. I'm like, Dustin, what's your game plan? I'm gonna knock him out. Why? I'm gonna knock him out. He runs his mouth too much. I'm like, Nah, Dustin, decision him. Nah, man, stupid. I'm like, No, here's why. You you decision him. You beat him 30-27. Guess what? That's what. That's guess what? That's gonna do to him. It's gonna make him think, Man, my conditioning wasn't good enough. My striking needs work. My grappling needs help. My wrestling needs help. Man, I might need to change teams. The moment you beat somebody, you make them think that, that's when they're really, truly broke. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, if you go for a knockout and you get it, guess what happens? The guy could be like, you know what? I just got caught. And that's not a big deal. In a rematch, he can't do that again. But if you go out there and you break somebody, you dominate them, you know, 30, you know, 30, 25, 30, 26, 50, 45, 50, 46, Guess what's gonna, guess what that does? That makes the person know you're not good enough. And that lets the audience know, man, we don't want to see a rematch. Well, what, now to that line of thinking, and that, that's smart what you said, 
Habib said the point of it is he wants to suck the life out of Connor. He wants yeah. to empty that gas tank and put him in such a vulnerable position where I guess in theory he could sit on him and just slap his face a hundred yeah, times if yeah. he wanted to. That'd be something, King Mo. That would be something. Well, now, if you look, that's Habib's style. Look at look at everybody's spot. Like Habib's not known for the punch power. Habib's known for the pressure and the top position and the ground and the pound and and the and the hand control. And when he gets that, he just slowly drains you. Michael Johnson. Look at Edson Barboza. Look at Dos Anjos. Look at everyone that's fought Habib. When it's all said and done, not only are they beat up, but they're drained, exhausted. They can barely stand. Yeah. Uh, so Connor talked with the Mac Life. I guess is is that his own website? Who cares? Whatever. He did like a twenty minute stand up interview in Vegas, and it was very interesting and revealing. And uh, if you're somebody like me who maybe can be swayed by fancy packaging or intense interviews, you would exit this Connor McGregor interview thinking this guy's going to come in there and knock Habib out because Connor was as focused and dialed in and serious. It's not about the money. It's not about this. And he admitted that he had lost the love for the sport the last two years. He called the Mayweather fight a circus clown fight. He said he went to the circus to fight. He got he got rich at that circus, by the way. Don't get fooled on that. But that he's regained the love. And he also maybe thinks that uh Habib slapped Artem as a way to bring Connor back to the fight game. So that's interesting. He also talked about things like he really would have fought Frankie Edgar's four months ago, but at the last minute, but UFC didn't want to go in that way. He also said he would have fought Colby for the interim welterweight belt, but UFC did not want to go that direction either. But here we are, King Mo, at the quote-unquote biggest fight ever. And Connor is ready for action. He's where he needs to be mentally, it seems. We're, we're, we better buckle in for a damn fight, King Mo, because say what you will about this guy, whether you think he's overrated, whether you think he's a clown. The, the proof is in the put in, as Floyd would say. He walks guys down and get them out of there, and I think he's got the right mindset. Where I was a little bit nervous of his mindset at that press conference where he was all kinds of rabid and crazy and maybe drunk, he seems like he's dialed in now. But don't forget this. It's his website. It's his website. Well, I know that. I mean, this, that's, what, that's what happens at this level. Floyd's got his own mouthpiece website. Yeah, yeah, that's what happens. You know, so, so when you do that, like, he can control what he puts out. He can control what he puts out. You know what I'm saying? Like, all this, I'm telling you, like, the, talk is cheap. The moment that cage closes, because you can be the badass. You can be the, oh, oh, blips, blips. You can say all that. You can say it took all that noise. What happened? Let's see. Let's see what happens when that cage closes. Because I'm telling you, he talked trash to, um, to, to Dustin. He knew he knows Dustin's gonna stand, and you can get Dustin's head. He talked trash to Diaz. He knows Diaz is gonna stand. Diaz can't wrestle. Um, what's the other guy's name? Um, Eddie Alvarez. He got Eddie Alvarez. Yeah, Eddie Alvarez. Like, can stand. Habib's not really a stand stand guy. So like, I'm thinking Khan's hoping he can get Habib to stand and trade a little bit. It's not gonna happen. If 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 Connor has not worked on any wrestling or changed his stance up, because that stance, what's gonna happen is if he's if his stance is that wide and Connor and Habib shoots a single leg, Connor can only defend by doing a limp leg, turning his back to him. If he isn't if he hasn't changed a few things with the stance of the sprawl, he's gonna be on his back, getting beat up, getting Shang Tsung, getting his life energy drained from him. 
It, it could happen. So I want to ask you something. Uh, you know, Chael Sonnen is a provocative guy, gives flashy opinions at times, says things like, Anderson Silva, you absolutely suck. Also says things like this. King Mo's a tough son of a bitch. That guy's all I, right with I me. I can't argue with that one. But King Mo, he, you know, he puts out those daily sort of takes on his, on his Twitter account for bet DSI, whatever sponsorship he's got going on. But he gave it the take. I don't have the sound ready now, but the point of it was this. He knows how good Habib really is. But he was trying to make the argument that we don't know how good Connor actually is because the fights have played out into into Connor's web so perfectly, the Aldo fight, Alvarez fight, Poirier fight, et cetera, et cetera, that Connor may be even better than we ever thought he was because we haven't seen him challenge in these certain areas. And that in this two years, he could have been working on his wrestling game and his submission game to, you know, never before seen levels. And his point is this Habib's really good. But Habib has reached his ceiling. Connor may be able to do things on Saturday that we never thought he could. Do you give any stock that Connor can come back from a two-year break and have the takedown defense, the grappling game, not on Khabib's level, but on the level to control the fight? No, because look, I'm Ed Ruth works out with Habib, and Habib takes him down. Ed Ruth, we're talking about. Like, world-class wrestler Ed Ruth, who is fresh from wrestling, Habib takes him down. We're talking about a man that's fresh from wrestling, bigger than Connor, that Habib takes down. So, you expect a man that started off in freestyle karate to go into MMA to all of a sudden learn how to wrestle and sprawl in two years. When we saw him try to sprawl versus Eddie Alvarez, which was terrible, we saw him try to sprawl versus Chad Mendes, which is terrible. We saw him try to sprawl versus Diaz, which is no good. You expect him all of a sudden now that, come on, Chael. That'd be like me saying, that would be, that, you, someone should ask Chael this. Could Buchecha, who's one of the best grapplers in the world, go win a freestyle or Greco world championship in two years? No. So, Connor's best bet, it's to land that shot coming in early because if you don't get Habib out early, he's in for a rude awakening. And that and that's fair. And that's why. And by the way, great takes today, Kimo. You're ve- I'm very emotionally. You're very sober. You're staying in the pocket. You're not throwing anything <laughs> wild. I like that. And Everything's look, efficient. Why we love this fight, separate from the grudge match, the bus attack, all that crap. Separate from wow, Connor's back after two years. You know why we love this fight? Because the strength of each guy is the weakness of the other. And it's one of those where like, oh man, I don't know what to do. Connor's either going to knock him out late in the first or Habib's going to take him down and it's going to be four and a half rounds of crazy ground and pop. And that's really what, what this fight comes down to, that specific theory right there. So under that theory, I think Habib's the rightful betting favorite. Unbeaten. The champion. More active. His his strength, which is also Connor's weakness, which is the takedown game, the wrestling game, you'd think it's more likely he could suffocate Connor for a couple rounds, then Connor landing one big punch. So I get that. But I want to play devil's advocate to you on the things we love about Habib in light of facing Connor here. I want to throw a couple at you because, spoiler alert, King Bo, Connor's going to knock him out at the end of the first round. And you heard that right here. I'm just telling you right now. I'm telling you what's going to happen. I'm telling you the future. And I'm about to d- decode and break down why Habib, who's awesome, may end up being one of those guys 
who's an outstanding, amazing front runner against B and B plus talent and maybe even some A minus guys. But when he faces the very, very, very upper class, upper scale ceiling elite, maybe not. I know it sounds crazy, but Mo, Habib can take you down. He can slowly put a spoon in there and eat portions of your soul. But is he a finisher, King Mo? Is he a finisher? Uh, here's the thing. Yes and no. And here's why. Because he beats you up, so he, he's a finisher in the chance of referee. Are you gonna do something? If you're not gonna do nothing, hey, opponent, you can tap. You can quit. I have the arm behind your back. I'm gonna break it. Michael Johnson took a beating. So, Habib was there in control. Habib was punching him. Look at the ref. You wanna stop it? Oh, you don't wanna stop it? Michael, stop it. This is my chance. This is, I'm fighting for the belt. Do you want to stop? No, you don't want to stop? Okay, referee, what do you want to do? And what do you see happen? The referee's like, ah, I'm going to stop it. Or the guys sit there and take a beating for so long that the fourth or fifth round comes, they're just a carcass. You, if, if you if you drain somebody's life force like that, you don't have to be a finisher because you take so much energy from the person you're facing, they have nothing left. All right, that's a fair and, counter. That's a fair and, counter. And we saw, and we, and we saw and here's the thing, right? With Connor. If he fights Habib, he's going to have to move more. He's going to have to move. Now, last time we saw Conor move that much, what happened? He gassed out. you damn right. Diaz. And look, he defended. Diaz got to his legs. Diaz got to his legs in the, in the, in the, the third, the second fight. and took him down, but time ran out. Diaz got him against the cage the second round, the third round, the fourth round, the fifth round, but can't take him down because Diaz is slow twitch and not known for takedowns. Guess what? Habib is fast switch and known for takedown. And guess what? Habib ain't gonna gas because if you watch the Diaz fight, the second fight, second Diaz Conor McGregor fight, Diaz gassed the fourth and fifth round. He, he gassed. Did. Well, that fight was at a hellacious pace. We do have to point that out. Yeah, but guess what? It was a hellacious pace, but Diaz is still going for takedowns. Now at a hellacious pace with Habib, Throw, throw takedowns in there and see what happens. All right, then do it you put any stock in what Faber said, that he can envision a scenario where it doesn't have to be one-punch knockout for Connor because Habib might not be a finisher, because he's had ten appearances to the octagon and six have gone to decision and only two have been finished by by knockout. Could Connor survive, right? Because what Faber said was at the end of every round, you got to get back up on your feet. So could he survive and could Habib be the one who suck and win late and could be open to a power shot. I know when you say that, your first response naturally will be, hey, Connor's not known for his, uh, for his five round distance either outside of that Diaz rematch, but Habib faded in those last two rounds against Al Quinta. And he got lit up a little bit. I know it's Al Quinta. I know he's a real estate guy, but if you go back and watch those last two rounds like I did, and maybe I'm trying to find something negative here against Habib, but he wasn't the same guy he was in rounds one, two, and three. But, but guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Now, Iaquinta has a wrestling base. Fair. Very fair. He's a wrestling background. So guess what? When Habib was shooting in, Habib had to work a little harder for those takedowns. He had to work a little harder. He just, you know what I'm saying? Like, grab a, grab a foot, pull it, rail it in. Where, which, when Connor, we watch Connor defend a takedown, Connor either goes to the cage and Habib will get his body like taken down, or Connor just falls down. With Chad Mendez. I'm, I, if Habib gets reckless, he could get clipped, but I just think that the pressure, him, the pressure, I think, I think he's gonna have Connor on his bike 
And I think that anxiety is going to get Connor gassed. And the moment Habib gets the takedown, he don't have to finish him right then. He just has to get one takedown and punish him because then off that one takedown, if he could do damage that one takedown, guess what's going to happen? The corner's going to be like, hey, you can't let Habib take you down. Move, move. Don't sit. Don't be set. And guess what that's going to do? Lead to Connor fading more and gassing. And I'm not blind to this. I'm not saying this isn't a possibility. This is what's going to happen. And this is why Habib's the betting favorite, by the way. So you're giving good responses. But I am trying to pin you down, Devil's Advocate. All right, next next Devil's Advocate here. All right, Habib, unbeaten, right? I mean, seriously, 26 and 0 in MMA. That's that's impressive. Has do we really know how good he is, though, King Mo? Let's not forget. Missed two years from 2014 to 2016 with knee injuries. Missed another full year just recently when the Ferguson fights fell apart for the third time. Yes, he beat RDA. That's the the breakthrough victory on his career where you're like, oh, my God. But he beat RDA in 2014 before Dos Santos kind of figured it out and went on to win the championship. I'm not saying that his wins over – But guess what? Colby Covington just used used Habib's game plan. He did. He uh, did. Dosanio, so, so I'm saying like, don't take anything away from that that three-round decision. It was impressive. But since then, K- King Mo beat Michael Johnson, who, by the way, has lost like six of his last seven, and Habib got at, locked in the first at round. A, at, at a weight class below. Okay. Destroyed Edson Barbosa in one of the most dominant three-round fights ever. I will give him that. Faded late against Ayakita, still won the fight. But King Mo, you know what there's not a lot of experience on there? Headlining pay-per-views, fighting A to A-plus level guys. Is there a devil's advocate argument to make here that Habib, just like with Triple G, right? He blew through. If you're B or B-plus, he will he will take your soul. He will take you of the hole, Billy Ho. He will take you down. But against Danny Jacobs and Canelo, ooh, things got evened out a bit. I know I'm not trying to compare perfectly Triple G to Habib, but is there any argument to say... That there's levels to this, bro. That's what I'm trying well, to say. Yeah, 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 there are. There's an argument, but the thing is, okay, so there are levels to this, but I really take Connor's path because Habib was thrown, they're trying to get Habib beat because let's be real, the UFC didn't want, didn't want, back then, didn't want a champ, champion named Habib Nurmagomedov from Dagestan after the Boston Marathon bomber was revealed to be from Dagestan as well. That's, that's probably not. Look a at the path. Look at the path. Connor, Beat Dustin Poirier, and then the next fight he fought Dennis Seaver. Dennis Seaver, he went backwards. Then he fought, he fought, um, he fought uh, uh, Diaz twice. Uh, one time on short notice, the other time, you know, what I'm saying he got him. Then he fought Eddie Alvarez, who we all know was gonna lose. We all know no one picked Eddie well, Alvarez. No, it, with Eddie Alvarez's wrestling, that should have been you know, an interesting but, but, but Eddie, fight. But the thing is, Eddie Alvarez wasn't really isn't a wrestler. He took down, he took down, he took down a few people, but bro, he's not really a wrestler. It's just, a, it's just that the UFC said, he's a wrestler, he's a wrestler, he's a wrestler. So everyone's like, oh, he's a wrestler. But really, if you really follow the history of Eddie Alvarez, you knew he's a striker, he's a banger. But the thing is, the UFC used the whole wrestling versus striking thing because they couldn't say striker versus striker because they know the better striker is Conor McGregor. You know what I'm saying? So they said, hey, well, we had the champion. He's a wrestler versus a striker. And that's what they did. This is good defense. I, this is good lawyering here, King Mo. And, and the thing is, like, the different levels, yes, but, okay, name me, name me a solid wrestler that Connor faced while the guy was coming off a good count. I, that, a, that's the argument right there, that Mendez was coming no, off a good count. Because think about this. Habib fought 
Kamal Sarus, Habib fought Gleason Tebow, and probably a few other wrestlers I can't think of, but these guys could wrestle. He faced all, Habib has faced all styles. Southpaw, Southpaw strikers, Southpaw wrestlers, Michael Johnson can wrestle. Um, Edson Barboza, he's faced all the styles. Connor's only faced a wrestler, a solid wrestler, one time. A guy that's wrestling first, one time. That's it. And we saw what happened to him the first three rounds of that short notice fight. He's on his back, getting beat by a guy who took a fight on a weak notice that's known for gassing. Chad Mendes is known to gas. They didn't give that fight to Frankie Edgar, who was in shape for that fight. They gave it, or Kemp Swanson, guys that can wrestle. They gave it to Chad Mendes, a guy that can wrestle, but it's known to front run, be a front runner. You're, you're bringing it right now. I can't argue against it. That's why this fight's so good. And the thing is, the the, the UFC protect, let's be real. The UFC protected Connor. They protect, the UFC does a job of protecting the European interest because there's more money in Europe. There's more money in Australia. I feel like America in 2005 to 2009, MMA was the biggest thing, the, the fastest growing sport. You can say that back then. And by the you way, anybody listening to this going, oh, come on, King Mo, with all your talk about they don't want a, a champion named Habib. Um, how many fighters in UFC have do whiskey shots with the Fertitas and Dana after they win? How many fighters in the UFC have embedded cameras following them where Dana and the Fertitas come over the house and hang out in the kitchen with, with Connor? How many fighters have got had a house loaned to them from one of the Petitas or, the, or Dana White? None. You know what I'm saying? Check this out, right? In combat sports, if you want to make money, if you want to make money in combat sports, anyone listening, get get in good with a good money guy in Europe, get in good with a good promoter in Europe, and try to make something happen. Because fight sports, combat sports, is doing well in Europe. And even doing... Just as good in Australia. That's where the money is. And that's why you see the UFC taking, and they're investing a little extra more into these European and Australian fighters now. You're right. Um, alright, final, final, final bit of note here in the argument here. Um, Connor had, outside of the two Nate Diaz fights, which were at the time two divisions above where Connor fought, okay? Connor fought, I guess, in his own division then. One division. One division. Well, let's be real. Conor McGregor fought at 155 multiple times before he fought at 145. So really, where, he's a 155 where, where? With who? You mean now. you mean earlier in his career? Yeah, earlier in his career, bro. Yeah, he, he did. He, he had two lightweight yeah. belts. Early. One of his he losses did. against Joe Duffy. Yeah, and and he carried both belts in the organization before before he came to the UFC. He had That's both fair. belts. Wow, you're bringing it to it. All right, but my point was this: outside of the two DS fights, Conor mm-hmm. has eight wins in the UFC. Only one went the distance, and that was against current champion Max Holloway, right? So that says something there. So my point on that is, he didn't face losers. I know he didn't face wrestlers, but he didn't face losers in that run. I mean, we're talking about Poirier, who's a star now, Mendez, big timer, Aldo, Eddie Alvarez, and he he knocked those dudes out. So here's my question to you. While the whole conversation rightfully is that Habib strength wrestling is all kinds of bad for Conor's weakness, what about the damn flip side? Habib is facing his kryptonite. How do you beat a werewolf, Kingbo? Isn't that like a silver bullet to the heart? This is the guy that has the the most potent silver bullet that, but, but, that Habib's going to find. I wouldn't say that because we don't know Habib's kryptonite just yet. We assume we assume it's on his feet because, you know, 
always he takes the fights to grind. We saw him get hit a few times by Michael Johnson, who has a different style than Connor, a different stance than Connor. But we don't know. It could be jujitsu. We don't know that because name me a high level jujitsu guy he's faced other than Dos Anjos. Well, you said Michael Johnson's. Di- How is Michael Johnson striking different? They're both southpaws. They're both got a quick left hand. Stance and Michael Johnson's right hook is better. And Michael Johnson has a sicker style because Michael Johnson, as he punches, he'll throw one, two, three, step to the side. One, two, three, two, step to the side. He does that. When you fight Habib, he'll step to the side. Connor is more like straight, boom, boom, I'll move, I'll move, straight, boom, boom, I'll move, I'll move, boom, boom, cut an angle, boom, boom. He's more, more solid in his stance. You don't see him moving as much. You only saw him move when he got tired versus Diaz. That's it. Now, while Connor failed in terms of adversity in the first Nate Diaz fight, face adversity failed, gassed out, couldn't come over the top. He did do well against adversity against Mendez. Okay, short week, short notice, I get it. And the second Diaz fight. I mean, he was almost out on his feet in round three, and he came back big. The problem with Habib now is he's almost been too dominant. When have we seen him in trouble outside of on his feet in round one against Michael Johnson to where we know? Now, look, he's a stone-faced destroyer. In theory, he's from Dagestan. I'm not questioning this guy's toughness, mental makeup for one second. But some of these guys have an invincibility. And once that's been cracked a little bit, all I'm saying is he's not immune to a guy who can control distance and line him up with a quick, powerful hand. And again, that's why this fight is so good. But I cannot count Conor McGregor out of this, even though your brain is telling you, bro, he can't wrestle. He's going to get destroyed. My heart is telling me that there's an intangible called magic, and Conor McGregor has it. Faber, we talked to him about it. He said it's not magic. It's supreme self-confidence. Call it what you want. He wasn't supposed to beat Aldo, and he beat him with one punch, right? He wasn't supposed to beat all these guys. King Mo, I don't know if he's a sorcerer, but he's got a way to make these fights happen. You can't take that away from Conor. Matchup favorability or not, he knocks fools out. I can't get away from the fact that my heart's telling me he's going to knock Habib out. Well, you know who else knocked people out too? Mike Tyson. Well, we saw what happened with him when he faced someone that wasn't afraid of him and had had a goal and it made that goal happen. I just think now the way that the way things line up, I just think now is Habib's time. Connor's been out for literally about two years, a year and a half. For a while. Two years. Yeah, once that's time you see him work on a sprawl. Um, so many distractions. I, I just think that now it's Habib's time because I think Habib's more serious. Like if, if I'm gonna go with somebody, I'm gonna go with someone that takes the thing more serious. And uh, you know, you but you brought up the fact that Connor's knocking everybody out, but at the same time, Connor fought Chad Mendes on short notice, knocked him out. Came from behind. He fought Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, Nick, Nick Diaz on short notice, lost one and won the second one with the full camp. But He's fought guys with 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 um, favorable styles that fit him. That's the only thing. That's the only difference I think with Habib. He, granted, Habib's style is favorable and it's not not really favorable, but I think that now it's a, this, this is a time that he's gonna face someone that's in their prime, on the run. And I think I think now, I think right now it's just Habib's time. I think Habib's just gonna run through him. I mean, Kimo, this is an a, insane challenge for Connor. Like you got like I wrote a story about it that's gonna be out this week that like. I don't even think Connor deserves this fight because of that whole felony situation that we all are supposed to forget about. But you got to give the guy credit for one balls, two making big events because three, 
Not many people have that sort of Floyd Mayweather boxing carte blanche to do what they want. GSP has it right now. Connor has it in spades. You know King Mo, he could have fought anybody he wanted. He could have fought Nate. He could have fought Frankie Edgar. He could have fought anyone he wanted. He wanted this fight. I give him a well, lot well, of credit well, for that. Well, I give him credit for that, but at the same time, I don't think he could have fought anybody he wanted. I, th- I think that when it came down to the UFC, was like, okay, Connor, you can fight whoever you want, but let's see, let's see what people say. And I think that when Connor said would come back, people were like, Habib, Habib, that's all you heard. So you're just like, look, man. We we want to do a Diaz fight, but Diaz is tripping, and we would do a Frankie Edgar fight, but Frankie Edgar just got got beat by um Ortega. by T City, and you know whatever he's not he's not a one fifty five pounder, but we got somebody that everybody wants to see fight. We got two people everybody wants to see fight Ferguson, but he's injured, and we have Habib. So look, you have two options: either Ferguson or Habib. Take it or leave it. I feel like, I think that's what the UFC did because look, look, Conor has power. But the UFC has power as well. True, but when they did not punish him, they gave him every ounce of power. Oh yeah, 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 yeah that's true. When they didn't punish but, him, like he could have. What I'm saying is, he could have been like, "You need me. I don't need you. I might not come back." And they would have bent. They would have bent for him. We're seeing how they whore themselves out for any situation. Yeah, yeah, it's true, true. But I, I think I really think that I really think that um, when it came down to it, they said, "Hey, all right, look, you want to fight Floyd? We'll let you fight Floyd." When you come back, we get we get option in your first fight. All right, it's it's fair, it's interesting. I'm, I'm saying give some, take some, because they gave him an opportunity to go out there and make big money without them. Except they still got a little chunk of the the pay. The, well, the that check. chunk supposedly yeah. saved their their financial ass. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I, I feel like it's give some, take some. You know what I'm saying? Hey, this because because honestly, with Habib, like Conor didn't have to take that fight because really. The, the hardcore knew how Habib was, but it got to the point where he's the only truly undefeated fighter that's been fighting for that long. You know what I'm saying? He took no L's. I, I think, I think maybe, no, well, actually, you know what? I'm going to give Connor credit. Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe Connor, like, you know what? I'm tired of people talking about Habib. I'm going to come in and I'm going to shut. Yeah. That, that's that, what that, I'm that, saying. That, I give him that credit because he's talking in that Mac Life interview about, look, I'm back now. I have a plan. I see who I want to fight in the future. He's talking about Woodley, by the way. He's talking about a third title. So, he could have been in his heart of hearts saying, you know what? F this guy, Habib. He's way too dangerous. Tony Ferguson? Hell no. I'm not fighting that dude. He's a wild man. I could lose to these guys. I'm the money man. I'm fighting GSP or I'm fighting Woodley, which granted is a harder fight maybe even than this one, but there's a lot of, lot that he could, a lot of reward. You know what I'm saying? Like there's not as much reward outside of the payday to come back in. He's like, look, it's not about the money. So I just want to say this, Kingwell. I'm not a Connor super fan. There's been times in this run that I've, I've hated him and been like, man, this guy's a blowhard. He's a jerk. I just, and I, you don't want to make predictions like this with your heart. I don't know, man. The same magic that led people to believe he actually could beat Floyd. And those people were ill advised, by the way, but the same magic that he has, I haven't seen him lost that in the cage yet. So my I would, prediction. Okay, see, I wouldn't call that magic. I call that ignorance. You know what I'm saying? I'm, be, I'm an ignorant dude. Let's not like, get around that. But you, 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 you thought that Connor had a chance to get against Floyd? No, no, I didn't because I'm a boxing oh, yeah. guy. Yeah, but that so same magic people, fooled people. Yeah. No, but I'm talking about the people that thought that was magic. Cause that, now it was magic if you, if, I don't know. It, no, it wasn't even magic. That, the people that thought that were just dumb. I mean, look, when he knocked out Jose Aldo, 
people, yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that was, that was they, magic. That was a, yeah. Dude, there was magic. I, I'm telling you. I know in reality he got in, in Jose Aldo's head and all that, and, I, and in reality it was a perfect punch, but there was something magical about that moment. I don't mean magic in some weird way that he won my heart. I mean magic where you're like, either this fight is fixed or he's a friggin' black black magic. Like there's something going on here. But really, more than that, after the Chad Mendes fight, might have been more magical for him because that's the fight that really put him on the map. Because hey, that's that's the fight that he overcame adversity to makes, come from behind to win the knockout. He did. He makes big events. He's making a giant one here. So my prediction: late first round, he stops Habib. Your prediction, King Mo? I think Habib by submission, probably in the second or third. It's fair. It's very fair. Let's get out of here by running through the rest of this card. Pretty damn good card. Pretty damn good. Tony Ferguson, Anthony Pettis, co-main event, lightweight. I've been on record saying big-time gamble for Tony Ferguson here. He's won 10 in a row. Nobody deserves a title shot more than this guy. He's running the back against what we appear to be a repackaged, refocused Anthony Pettis. Am I putting too much stock into what Pettis did to Chiesa? And in reality, this is a tailor-made matchup for Tony Ferguson to roll through him. What do you got? Um, Well, think about this. Dustin Poirier took him down. Try, trying to hurt him. Kiesa has a fight in a while, so he came to that fight might a little rusty. Ferguson's got a little rusty. I think Ferguson's volume, I think Ferguson's length, I think Ferguson's wrestling will be will be too much for Pettis. All right, all right. I like. I, I think ultimately Ferguson will win this fight, but I can't get over the the risk. And I know maybe he doesn't have Connor level control, where he's like, "No, nah, I'm waiting for a title shot." Maybe he needs the money. Maybe a lot of things. Maybe he just wants to prove himself. But he's 34. If he loses this fight, the title dreams are over in this division, King Mo. So there's a lot not, of not, line not here. necessarily, not necessarily, because if Connor's talking about going up to 170, and if Connor wins and goes, to, then, then he still has a chance. Like I wouldn't count anybody's chance out. Anything can happen in the yeah. UFC because you know anything can happen. You just don't know. You never know. Uh, do you care about OSP light heavyweight against Dominic Reyes? This is I don't I, know why this is on the main card. Who's Dominic Reyes? I don't really know who Dominic Reyes. Yeah, that's is. what I'm talking about, Kimo. Why? There's always one fight of the five pay per view main cards on each pay per view where you're like, what? Why? Is well, this? May, may, maybe maybe Dominic maybe they're trying to showcase Dominic Reyes. Maybe he's three in a row, three and zero in the UFC. All finishes. He's nine and zero overall. He's coming off of a knockout of Jared Cannonier. We'll see. OSP is feast or famine. Man, he feasted on Corey Anderson's uh, soul recently, but we'll see what happens with that. Uh, the fight I do care about there is that heavyweight one. Derek Lewis, Alexander Volkov, in theory, is a reboot for Lewis. He beat Ngannou with a, with a back problem, but that fight stunk. That fight should have been a announcement for whoever won by knockout that they would have next in this title division. It's a messy title division with Brock. We know Stipe thinks he probably deserves next. If Derek Lewis can beat Alexander Volkov, who's on like a seven-fight win streak, hard to keep keep him out of that conversation, King Bro. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's hard. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't, I don't know because wait, who, and God is facing um, Curtis Blades, right? Uh, yeah, if if Curtis Blades wins, then then maybe maybe um Derek Johnson should face uh, Curtis Blades because Curtis Blades deserves a chance as well, a shot as well. Yeah, uh, I want to see how this division plays out because uh, Stipe, Stipe's still around. He might deserve a rematch. He might deserve something big coming up. I like Lewis in this fight, though. If his back is is clean and clear, it's not going to be an easy fight. He's probably going to get hit a few times, but I like him in this one. To close out that main card, King Mo, I really like this women's strawweight bout because women's strawweight is secretly the best division not called men's lightweight in the UFC. I say that all the time. 
Michelle Waterson, Felice Herrick. Oh yeah. Oh come on. Give give me this matchup. Who do you like? Felice has gained a newfound confidence, but the karate hot is just so technical. She's sharper. I feel like she's slicker. But Felice can come. I, I don't know. I don't know. She comes with it. I don't. I don't know. Felice is she's she's a different person now. She's reinvented she herself. Um, find a new find some confidence. Ever since she made that girl poop in the octagon with the choke, she sort of turned her life around. Yeah, Remember, she choked I, that girl out until she cracked yeah, her yeah. pants. That's disgusting, Kingbo. Yeah. You're like, I, I don't I, talk about that. You're like, I don't mess with that. I don't mess with that. I I I I, I don't know if you're gonna win that fight. I don't know if you're gonna win. It's gonna be it's gonna be close. It's gonna be a good one. Talk. Uh, Sergio Pettis at flyweight on this preliminary card against Jesse A. Formiga. This could be a, uh, a number one contenders match in uh, de facto. I know, obviously, Johnson's going to get a second chance, but Johnson's hurt right now against Cejudo. So the winner of this could really make a statement. I like Pettis, King Mo. Who do you like? I'm going to go with my teammate, Jesse Formiga. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I see him, I see him, I see him watching the train. He looks ready, man. He looks ready. All right. Nobody else on this card I'm really caring about too much. Hey, Gray Maynard, shout out. He's still fighting. Still fighting. The bully. He's still out there, King Mo. So are you. Back in the gym. Don't ever leave the gym. You're about that life. December 15th. Honolulu. You ready? <laughs> you ready to meet some Hawaiian fans or what? Uh, yeah, I'm, whatever, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I, I got plenty of time till that happens. You know what I'm December 15th is, like three months from now, man. All it's right. too long. Stay focused. Stay healthy. Say hi to Dog the Bounty Hunter when you're out there. You get down <laughs> with that guy? No. <laughs> yeah, I've seen him, him and Leland. So. Yeah, Leland fights, right? He's, he's on the side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Hey, 229 is what we're all about this weekend. Kimo, where are you watching it from? Will you be there? I'll be there in Las Vegas. Where will you Where will you be? Florida? Uh, Yeah, I'm probably going to be in Florida. I'm not sure I'm going to watch that shit. Oh, get, the, get that. Get the hell out of here, Kingmo. Don't try that routine. Don't try that I'm too good for this fight. This is the biggest fight that ever happened, and you know yeah, it. Yeah, but the thing is that I don't know about that. I just don't know. I just know that I don't know what my watch that this shit. Because right now, when big fights happen, everyone's claims, oh, it's at my house. Oh, we're going to watch it at this bar. So you know what? I just wait till Thursday. Because Thursday is when things get solidified. Because Friday weigh-ins come, then Saturday's a fight. So I will know by Thursday where I'm going to be watching the fight at. All right. Will we know anything from the weigh-ins or press conference this week between Connor and Habib that can change our predictions? Or is it – what do you think is going to happen? Anything Anything crazy? only way you can see something is if you see one of them limping in or in, in wearing a sling. That's it. All the talk is done. It don't matter. All, right. All the talking means nothing. Tomorrow I'll be in New York uh, talking to Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder ahead of their December 4th pay-per-view fight. You're leaning either way right now. It's still early, but are you leaning either way? Deontay, I think Tyson Fury um, might be cashing out. That's fair. That's fair. All right, King Mo, that'll wrap it up. Another show is in the books. Follow the King at King Mo FH on social media. Add in this corner CBS at B Campbell CBS. King, anything you want to say to your passionate fan base out there as we walk away? Nothing to say except these two words. Not suck it. <laughs> we out. <laughs>